Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. Uh, there is some room for optimism, at least with the Irish Times this morning, saying that the state or the government or the HSC or NEFET or the whole shooting match of them will not impose further restrictions this week in the sense that they won't be announcing any official restrictions or changes. Um, we, we did see signs that the huge recent spike in infections has begun to abate level off and dare I say it even begin to drop so at least that's positive news as the fellow says and we're not expecting any kind of a crazy announcement with regards to lockdowns or restrictions tomorrow so Neffet aren't going to advise anything and the Red Tops pick up on that this morning but of course what's wrecking everybody's heads is that it is impossible to get a PCR test um, and uh, that features in all of the papers this morning in quite some detail the length and breadth of the country and unfortunately uh, Cork is in the same uh, rag order when it comes for, to people trying to uh, get a, a PCR test in many of the designated locations. That even includes Dunmanway, unfortunately. So that's quite um, uh, worrying. Um, I think they set aside a lot of bookings um, that they don't release to the general public for referrals and close contacts and stuff. And, you know, they're only supposed to be doing 100,000 across our parish, if you like, but they're doing upwards of 200,000. So it's not as if they're not working flat out. There just aren't enough facilities. Musicians, of course, um, dominate many of the papers today because they've had, you know, we mustn't forget people, uh, whether it's musicians, bands, individual singers, disc jockeys, whatever the case may be, they're seeing cancellations all over the place for the back end of November and right across December because cancellations are piling up uh, because of COVID restrictions, because of hospitality, because of the talk and the warnings, if you like, <coughs> for people to reduce their social gatherings and to not have Christmas parties. So that's a problem then for people in the entertainment industry, of course. Uh, Leinster House itself is in a bit of a grip uh, of uh, COVID. They're talking about 14 politicians, a rock to staff, workers within the parties and journalists all struck down with COVID. But an interesting one in the Mirror this morning says, a TD who has recovered told the Mirror that this number is probably only the tip of the iceberg. <clears throat> she said, politicians would be wary to admit publicly that they have the disease. Why? Why do they even have that mindset? I don't get that. And then, of course, if you did want instance to do your own antigen testing um, it hasn't deterred people from going out and buying the products and maybe that's the reason why prices are falling so I don't know what the government are talking about um, you know they say oh there might be a subsidized uh, antigen test um, you know program put in place where it might be maybe four euro for a test or something like that or 20 euro for a box of five but already you can get 20 you can get five of them in Lidl for 20 euro uh, you know so that that's already been done many pharmacies across the country are already selling five for 23 and 25 euro now they do go up to as high as uh, thirty two fifty in, in boots for five and they break it down in the mail then the cost uh, for a single antigen test. Now the antigen test single ones are much dearer than the boxes so the multi-pack works out cheaper in the long run but there's a complete breakdown in it uh, in the mail this morning right across the country. But we've had six and a half thousand cases of COVID in the past two weeks um, and what's interesting about this, in Cork I'm talking about, six and a half thousand in Cork but when you look at the median age of those who are actually uh, contracting or you know contracting or contacting or sorry getting covid the median age is 33 which is quite interesting so the most active decade those that are moving around most the 20s and 30s they're the ones that are testing positive more 33 is the the median age six and a half thousand and and also there's big issues then with regards to uh, the amount of people that are uh, out in childcare facilities whether it's staff or whether it's um, uh, the kids themselves, because the number of crashes in childcare facilities 
uh, hit by COVID has soared by 50% in, in six weeks as the virus surges in community, uh, particularly amongst young children. Uh, and uh, one of the things then with Christmas around the corner is the cost of flights for people coming home. And I will come back to this a little later on this morning because Seamus has some prices on flying back from the UK and flying back from the likes of Boston or New York. Now, uh, I think maybe a lot of people have already done their booking so they won't actually be suffering huge, big gouging prices because they booked early. That is assuming they're coming back at all. But the Mail is saying on the front page that families who haven't seen their loved ones in months and in some case years face rocketing prices to fly home because airlines are hiking the fares to make up for the lost profits and reduce capacity on board aircrafts. Now, you would think that people would have a lot of their bookings already done for flights. But if you were to do it now, the Mail are suggesting that some one-way flights in the UK are close to €500 Euro one way, weirdly, um, on the week before Christmas. So more about that a little later on this morning. But as you heard in the news, the plans for the South Jetty and the South Docks are just incredible. Transformative is the word that the uh, Echo uses this morning. And both the Echo and the Examiner, the Examiner's got a massive, big colour shot of the South Docks and how it will look after all of the money is spent. O'Callum Properties have incredible plans for the area. I mean, it will be in itself a brand new neighborhood if you like we're going to have a hospital as well built on the near the site there by the uh, the the old pub there by uh, Carey's um so it's it's incredible you know the Odlums mills the derelict building's been derelict for like decades and decades that's going to be incorporated into the new build and the new structures down there it's going to be awesome we're going to have two seven and nine story buildings uh, going to have uh, lots of places for people to live, one, two and three bedroom apartments. It's going to be a cinema down there, a food hall. It's going to be loads of office space. There's going to be a 360 degree landmark rooftop destination, which will be a restaurant and bar on the top of it. I mean, it's just going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, and hopefully that work can be done. We're looking at um, a massive site. We're, they're talking about 4,162 acre site running from the Marina Walk onto the River Lee, obviously, all the way to Kennedy Quay, and uh, right around to Victoria Road and the Mill Road. It's, it's amazing, and there's some great con- computer-generated uh, shots this morning making both the Examiner and the Echo, but I'm particularly delighted about the Odlums building because that is just the most gorgeous building, and it's going to be saved and incorporated and built up and built around, if you like. The news is an awful lot of glass. Uh, not everybody's a fan of glass, but I'm just a fan of the whole idea of the South Jetty. Now, while you're, at, while you're at it, please put up a statue to the dockers who toiled there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And maybe it might be a bad idea to put in a call to O'Callaghan Properties. They're the most proactive company you'll ever come across. They might consider it, and why wouldn't they? So it'd be good to get that done. Now, also the papers this morning talk about Ireland having one of the lowest smoking rates in the European Union. Not too bad. But at the same time then... Uh, you know the way last week I probably told you that a glass or two of wine was good for you? Well, there's more research this morning to counteract that. Four glasses of wine can increase dementia dangers. Uh, or indeed drinking just four pints of beer or small glasses of white. We- and that's a week. That's not of an evening now. Is there no enjoyment in this world where people don't have to pay for the price with their, with their health? Gar Brooks is paying the price with regards to ticket prices because I didn't know this, but the ticket prices tomorrow will be the same as the cost of the cancelled tickets in 2014. Fair play to him. So they're saying that he could take a hit of eight million. Not that Garth Brooks needs it. He flew into Ireland in his own private jet, for God's sake. But I think it's a kind and nice thing for him to do. But there's another entertainment story that makes the papers today. Also, the English Times talks of people 
I mean, how do I approach this? Like, people go to the cinema, people go to the theatre, they go to Panto, they go to all sorts of places for entertainment, and they bring food with them, right? I mean, in America, you can bring fast food in and everything, and chicken and burgers and the likes. I don't know whether you can, you can probably do that here, but I don't know. But popcorn and crisps and sweets are big, um, uh, very, very popular items when you, when you go to the cinema. Now, it's annoying enough, maybe at the cinema or the theatre, to be sitting near or next to a cruncher, you know, somebody with a bag and they're rustling through it for their favorite sweet. Others then who have big, massive bags of crisps and all you can hear is the bag and the munching. And then, of course, you've got popcorn. But the research is actually drilling more into um, the fact that it's, it's actually taking from your own experience and enjoyment of a film if you have a bag of popcorn with you. Because they say, the research, is that you were devoting too much of your brain to enjoying the taste of the food rather than concentrating on the film or the theatrical play or the musical or the panto. So they're saying knock that on the head, lads, because it's making the movie less riveting. The Neil Prenderville Show. All of the red tops this morning have uh, a very, very interesting story regarding Andrew McGinley. He was due on the Late Late Show uh, some weeks back. Now, you will know that Andrew McGinley is the dad of um, three children who were killed by their mum, Deirdre Morley. Uh, he was due on the Late Late Show. Now, Mr. McGinley was scheduled to be on the sofa um, to talk about his children and a fundraiser he was putting together. Uh, his wife was found not guilty by murder, uh, by reason of insanity, of murdering her children at their Dublin home. Now, we all know of the story. It was very tragic. It was a horrific, horrific story. Uh, but then RTE cancelled his appearance and the Red Tops have got a hold of this story and they're not letting go and haven't been for the last couple of days asking questions as to why he was axed from the TV show um, RTE have no comment to make on it but what we have learned is that it's something to do with a letter they're saying that was sent to RTE um, saying that the appearance of and the conversation regarding the death would be um, too upsetting um, now I, I do know that at the time, um, Mr. McGinley was due uh, on uh, the late late with Peter Schmeichel, Rosanna Davidson. And I know that Rosanna Davidson was going to be talking about uh, celebrating the birth of her miracle babies. And that was a very, very positive, happy story for her. But I remember at the time social media lit up with people saying that you can't do the two. Um, you, you know, you can't have somebody talking about you know, the happiness of babies and somebody else talking about, um, you know, the sadness of losing children uh, to um, murder by their mother. So I don't know why it was cancelled, but if, if it was a letter from a member of the public, that seems bizarre to me because that means that a member of the public could send a letter about anything that was due on TV and have it cancelled. Like, if there was going to be a topic, say, on euthanasia that somebody would find upsetting, would they cancel that? Because if it was somebody who wanted to talk about gay priests, would that be cancelled? Or other kind of, you know, topical issue. And, and why would RT react and cancel things just because a member of the public and said it might be upsetting or in bad taste. I, I just don't understand it. Um, but it certainly is a story that the Red Tops keep on drilling into day after day, so much so that it's on the front pages of the Red Tops today. Lines open at one 104 106 You can text 868 We'll pick it up after the break. Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. And you pick up the phone at one 104 106 Let this be a warning to you and let it be a lesson to you if you're a parent of young children. Uh, joined by phone by Emma. Emma, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And uh, how's your little lad, Jace? What is he, about 14 months? 
He's 14 months. Yeah, he's um, he's flying it now, thank God. He had a check-up yesterday and, okay. Um, okay. yeah, he flew so through on, it, thank So God. on Wednesday, the 10th of November, he's running a, a very high temperature, is it? Yeah, so he got... Um, my husband tested positive on the Tuesday. Um, and then on the Wednesday, I, he didn't have a temperature at first. Um, he was just coughing a lot. Um, so... What I did, because it's very hard to get an antigen test on a baby, um, I waited till he kind of cried over something and I got a bit of, um, I got a bit of something on the tissue and I did the swab off the tissue and that came up positive. Um, and then he had the PCR test then on the Thursday. And that but, was positive uh, yeah. too, wasn't it? That was positive as just well. So you, know what a PC, you know with an antigen test on a 14-month-old, would it be possible to do when he was asleep? I wonder, I'm just thinking. Um, yeah, I probably would, but yeah. the swab up his nose when he was sleeping, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I just waited till he till he snotted a bit and got it on a got it on a tissue. Mammy thinking yeah. on her feet. Well done. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, well done is right. But it was bad news in the sense that he was positive. How would you feel about that? Um, I was always really scared about the kids getting COVID. I don't like a lot of people. I think a lot like people's um, kind of mindset on it is, you know, the kids will get it, but sure, they fly through it. Yeah. You know, they're, they're grants, they kind of fly through it. But I always had, a, like, a bad fear about the kids getting it. Um, so when I saw a positive, I was like, no. You know what I was thinking uh, when I was reading about your story? That one of the things, say, with regards to a 14-month-old who can't communicate, who tests positive with something like that, you actually don't know how bad they're feeling. Yeah, that's true. Um, and my little girl got it as well. And um, she was definitely getting body aches and that. Like she was definitely getting stomach cramps. She was telling me her stomach was hurting and she was getting pains like down her legs and yeah, stuff like that right. as well. How old would she um, be, do you mind me asking? She's three. Three. She's okay, three. so she could yeah. tell you how she was feeling, but little Jace couldn't. Exactly. Okay, so exactly. that's your, your, your son, Jace, your daughter, your husband. Did you test positive? I tested positive, um, but I had, I lost my sense of smell and taste, and I had kind of itchy ears and itchy throat, um, but that's all I had, thank God. Okay, no nausea, no overwhelming tiredness or anything, no? No, no, I didn't get anything like that. Okay, so the whole family then were down at the same time, right? Exactly, Okay, but then with regards to Jace, other things started to develop, what was that? So... On the Wednesday night, he got a temperature. He had a temperature kind of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was coming and going. It wasn't like every four hours he was getting a temperature. Um, It was a high temperature, but he was eating and drinking those days. Like he was in good form and stuff like that. Um, And then it was the Sunday morning. I just noticed um, it just looked like light nettle rash on his knees. Rash. Um, A rash, yeah. Yeah, it started on his knees um, and I rang South Dock straight away. I just had a really bad feeling about it. But I had read up on um, the PIMS before the Pediatric Inflammatory Multisystem Syndrome. Never heard of it. Is that, can that be a consequence of child COVID? Yes. So it's a new condition and it's happening after COVID. Um, It's very similar to Kawasaki disease. um, And that is a disease that's kind of well known throughout the medical community. Um, But PIMS isn't really that well known because it's so new. Um, And it like it is happening. It, It happens a lot in 
like America and England now have had loads and loads of cases. Obviously, their population is much greater than here. Um, but there has been a good few cases here. They told me there's a good there was a load of cases in in Dublin and Crumlin, um, and they've had a few cases now in CUH. Okay, because I saw the first photograph you sent me has um, a rash on his knee, but when I turn over to the next photograph, it's over his entire body. Yeah, so that developed throughout the the day. Um, In one so, day? Yeah, yeah. Emma, yeah. that is alarming. Very alarming. Um, and I did, I rang South Dock four times. Now, I would say like at the start, it was, it was light when it started on his knees. I understand why they weren't concerned about it. Um, and then... Um, it moved to his groin and I rang again to say it had spread. Um, and then... But his thighs and the backs of his legs and his buttocks are absolutely raging with destroyed, rash. Destroyed. And I did send pictures as well. Um, but I suppose it does look like a normal kind of post-viral rash as well. But I do God think there should be... Almighty. Like, we're living with this now with two years. And I think... You know, um, kids need to be seen more, even if they have COVID. Um, There needs to be something like a little niche kind of just set out to the side of South Dock where they can see kids with COVID because it's very hard to diagnose anything over the phone. Um, You sent them the pictures of the extensive rash all over the entire body? Yeah, Uh, it was everywhere on his face and his ears. And what do they say Um, about that? uh, They gave me an antihistamine. Okay, okay. But, um, did they know like, that he was positive? They did, yeah. Well, I made sure to tell them that he was COVID positive. And I made sure to tell them that he, because the other um, big symptom of PIMS is um, a temperature that you can't get down. And he had a temperature at 12 o'clock um, and it spiked again at 2 o'clock or half 2. Um, so I had to give him, like, say, the Calpol, and then I had to give him the Norfin in between, and the temperature still wasn't coming down. It was, um, okay. it was really hard to He must have found it very... Was he in a lot of discomfort and pain, I imagine he was? Yeah, so me and my husband, we took turns kind of holding him on our, on our laps, um, and, like, if he moved him at all, he was... He was crying, like he was crying most of the night. Um, his voice was still hoarse up to a, a couple of days ago from crying now. Okay. He obviously was crying a lot in the hospital and that as okay, well. Okay, we'll get to the hospital because um, you had three different conversations with Southstock, got the antihistamine, yeah. nobody mentioned paediatric inflammatory multi-system syndrome. Um, so then you went to your GP, was it, instead? So, yeah, so um, the antihistamine was dropped up to us in the morning. Um, because we couldn't go out. We no. were still COVID positive at that yeah. stage. Yeah. Um, and I gave him the antihistamine. Now, during the night, he did um, vomit as well. And when we gave him the antihistamine, he vomited again and his temperature still wasn't coming down. So I was like, I, I knew it was the hospital. Um, are now, you Googling at this stage now what's going on? You're probably Dr. Google, are you? I didn't because I had already read about PIMS and I had suspected from... The onset of the rash, I was like, oh no, please tell me it's not that. And did you, you know? mention PIMS to South Dock? I didn't mention PIMS to South Dock. Okay. Um, actually, PIMS um, is a term that they gave me in the hospital. Um, it's MISC is kind of the, okay, but, the okay. adult version. Right. 
Okay. So did the doctor say, get him into hospital straight away? Yes. Yeah. The doctor was on the ball. I rang. I said it was an emergency. Um, to the girls in the office, they were brilliant. Um, the doctor rang back, I'd say, within two minutes and gave us um, a letter to A&E then. Was it busy when you got in there? Were you seen straight away? How did that go? So my husband, I stayed home with our daughter and my husband um, took Jace to A&E. Um, they were put into a room straight away, kind of off to the side because they were both COVID positive. Um, and then they did tests throughout the day. He was in A&E, I think, for about three hours. Um, and then he got put up into a ward then after that. And he was five nights there? He was five nights. Yeah, yeah. and they treated yeah. him? For whatever was yeah, wrong. so they they treated him. He needed to get this. Um, I don't know. Am I going to pronounce this right now? Immunoglobulin. Um, it's taken from blood donations. Um, it's like a blood infusion, really, and it has antibodies and proteins. To did they, did they the say infection. he was a very sick little boy? Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. They what did. do they? Do you have no idea what would have happened if you'd ignored the symptoms or, or just. Hopes yeah, because PIMS, um, it can, it, it, number one, it causes clots. Jace is on um, aspirin now for six weeks, just as a precaution. Um, but clots. it can cause clotting, yeah, and it can cause, um, it, it can cause your other organs to kind of shut down as well. And are you, um, are you I mean, does that not frighten you that if you had ignored the symptoms are dealt with them as South Dock had said you should de- deal with them. He could have died. Um, I don't think, Jesus, there's um, like a various kind of um, spectrum to, to pins. I don't know if Jesus was that serious. Um, I'm looking I'd say at now, these if, photographs. If we, yeah, I know. If we had ignored it, I'd say for like multiple days, I'd say uh, definitely. I wouldn't um, like to think of the consequences. No, no, definitely not. But yeah, like saying that, we could have just taken the doctor's advice. Okay, he threw up the anti- antihistamine. We'll try it again there in a couple of hours. And we could have lost kind of a day on it. And then who knows, maybe his organs could have been affected then. Um, but thank God all his organs were were fine because we did get him in really early. Okay, so um, children do, of course, no contract COVID. Babies, indeed, in your case, 14 months, Jace, contracts COVID, and there can be consequences that you want to make parents aware of. Yeah, I don't want to scare parents. Um, and, like, if if your child had a rash, you know, a couple of weeks ago, post-viral rash, and it went away, that wasn't PIMS. Do you know... Um, it, it's serious and it, it like as I said he needed that immunoglobulin which is like a blood transfusion and he needed um, steroids through a, a drip for three nights you know for the rash to go away like this kind of rash mm. isn't going to go no, away I just, I just, no I just wanted people to be aware of it and no, I know you did too just in case if if, if they see yeah. a rash that isn't going away or getting worse and worse but it's only well, as a consequence of... But, it, but this is a condition that happens after children have contracted COVID-19, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's now, what usually, in Jason's case, he got it really fast after it. Um, most cases that I kind of write up about, um, this happens maybe four weeks after having COVID. Yes, I know. Um, whereas 
Yeah, whereas Jesus was kind of straight away after having it, which um, which isn't common. Um, but yeah, I think people really need to be educated yes, about it. and that was the um, reason I wanted you to come on air, just so that people would be aware that there could be a potential of this happening. How did the how did the CUH cope? I mean, we hear that they're under enormous pressure. Did your husband say that they were coping okay while in there? Um. I, I was in there a few nights as well. They were definitely, they're definitely run off their feet, but they're brilliant. Like we were in the Ladybird ward in CUH and we um, dealt with Dr. Fitzgerald and they couldn't have been any better. Brilliant. Like the level of care that we got was amazing. And like, because we couldn't come out of the room because we had COVID. And, mm. um, you know, they, they were checking on us all the time to make sure, you know, we had food and like everything we needed. And they were so, so, so good. Yeah, well really, well really good. Well done to them. They're doing the best they can under the conditions they're working under. And we're grateful for it. How is he now? He's brilliant. Yeah, he's really good. He's He seems to be back to his to his normal self now. He's on steroids um, for another 16 days. Um, and he's on the aspirin then for six weeks. And there's and nothing um, you can do about the steroids. So there's not. Is there anything else you can do now? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. They'll have to stay on them now, but the rash kind of like is still kind of flaring up a bit, and he's still itching a little bit as well. So even after all the steroids, yeah. Okay. But um, I wanted to mention the funny thing was I had to um, I had to ring South Dock for my daughter to get her steroids. She has asthma and she was a bit breathless, and I got the same doctor that I got the night um, with Jace, and I told him what happened and I told him about PIMS and he had actually never heard of PIMS before. So that's how kind of unheard of. And knew it is. Yeah, and knew it is. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, you see it's very frustrating for people when they're only able to deal a lot of the time over the phone, describing symptoms, sending photographs of symptoms. Maybe that's the times we're living in now. You know, things get missed. Yeah, yeah I just think like there needs to be something put out there to all the medical professionals. If you see a case of a child post-COVID with a rash and a temperature that's hard to keep down, that those are red flags for PIMS. Big time red flags. Okay, well, we've done the best we can getting that message out right now, Emma. But regards to you and all of the family, you're all recovered from the, from the COVID now, I hope, and out of quarantine? So, yeah, um, yesterday was my, because my daughter caught it um, a few days after us. So yesterday was her last day in quarantine. So we're all out now today. Yeah, yeah. So. sounds as if you dodged a bullet, though. I mean, you got it, but not bad. Yeah, I definitely did. Yeah, and I was able to because my husband was sick as well for a few days. Um, Everly was fine. She like she has asthma, so she was a bit breathless and stuff, but she never got a temperature or anything like that. She yeah, wasn't I know bad. it can affect people differently, can't it? Double jabbed That's adults, mad. very ultra fit double jabbed adults that I know. Yeah, absolutely crocked. And others then, you'd oh, yeah. hear of people who aren't fit or might have a bit of weight problem and they sail through it. It really is very selective. Like I said, it, like the term that I've been using is that it's like Russian roulette. Like yeah. you don't know how anybody is going to react true, to COVID. True, true, true. Right, good to chat. Thanks, Emma. Listen, appreciate you taking no the call. Bother. Take care. Thank Regards you. to you Thanks, all. Man. Just uh, for you guys to be aware of that uh, and no other reason than that, you just should be aware. I don't mean to alarm anybody, but just take that information and that conversation and store it away in case uh, you may uh, come across those kind of symptoms with a small little baby or a child. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Very good news, actually. Uh, you might remember a story that I dealt with recently. It was the story of Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, and he came on air because he was out on his stag night there. 
last year and he's out on the stag night with his pals and he sees a crowd of people gathering around George's Quay um, turns out that uh, a woman had jumped into the water and he saw this distressed woman in the water floating downwards towards Parliament Bridge you might recall the conversation I had on the air with Kevin at the time he told us all about it that was Lorraine that was in the water uh, and at the time he also saw people throwing boys in to help her uh, um, apparently if I remember correctly he said that she had a big kind of uh, coat on um, and that the air got, got stuck in the coat and under the coat um, and that was keeping her afloat you know he thought that maybe she'd have gone down with the weight of the coat if the coat had taken on water but anyway apparently I was reading an article on her just to remind myself of and people were throwing boys into the water a lot of people were gathering on the keys so he went into the water and uh, he managed to get hold of her uh, and bring her to shore and he brought her to the safety of the quayside. And then at that stage, the emergency services were there. Of course, he was absolutely soaked and wet at the time. Had to go home to his wife-to-be, his fiance, after his stag night. And his mates were with him. Otherwise, she wouldn't have believed him. Uh, with the shenan- shenanigans that people get up to on stag nights. But he was chatting with him on the air. And then Lorraine uh, came on the air. And we chatted with her as well. And uh, she uh, was very honest and open about the situation that she was in. And the reasons why she jumped into the water, but she was forever thankful because at that stage, when she did that, she was at rock bottom when she waded into the water at the Southgate Bridge on that Friday night. Uh, And she'd been struggling with lockdown and unfortunately alcohol problems. But she's in a much better place now. Uh, And just checked in with her yesterday, or at least Brenda did, and she said, uh, and she just banged me off an email. And thank you for it, Lorraine. It's always good to stay in touch. She said, I hope you find you, I hope this email finds you well. As for me, Lorraine says, I'm doing great, thank God. One day at a time. I'm in a completely different headspace to where I was this time last year. As you and your listeners know, I was pulled out of the river by Kevin O'Sullivan. The only way I can describe my feelings that night is I felt lost, sad, and my life became so unmanageable. My mind was just gone because of my addiction. I couldn't see any way out, but I guess God had a different plan for me, and I'm living that plan now. I'm living the life beyond my wildest dreams. I'm back home with my beautiful kids who I absolutely adore. I took up driving, passed my theory test, but I'm taking life a day at a time, sometimes a minute at a time. This is an ongoing battle that I have to practice the 12-step program every day. Consistency for me is the key. I do my best each and every day. That's all I can do. And it certainly works for me. I just want to say, if anyone out there is struggling, please ask for help. The help is out there. Obviously, I would like to thank Kevin O'Sullivan for saving me, saving my life and giving me this chance to live. I'd be forever grateful to Kuhn Vura in Fernandes, the treatment centre, for all the help they gave me. And also my aftercare counsellor, who continuously helps me. Uh, my best friend, Vicky stayed by my side through everything and most importantly my family who support me every single day they're amazing can I just say Neil that if I can do it anyone can I'm now looking forward to spending Christmas at home with my kids as we were all apart last year thanks for taking the time to read this God bless everybody and that's from Lorraine I think that's a fantastic update considering where we were about 14 months ago she's in such a great great place it's a lovely story and at the time then when I was chatting to Kevin, I promised him a weekend away from Seth and his fiancée. Um, they're since married now. They're husband and wife. Um, so they're ready and able to head away for that weekend. So I got in touch with David Manning, who's the general manager at Echoes Hotel in Glengariff. 
and he had absolutely no problem in the wide earthly world of setting aside uh, a two-night uh, with dinner break at Eccles in Glengareth for Kevin and his fiance, whose name I don't know, unfortunately. Sorry, Marion. It's thanks, Brenda. Marion. They're married now. Um, they're childhood sweethearts, and they've been together since they were thirteen. So that's all sort of a Kevin and for Marion. Maybe not this side of Christmas. Maybe you might like to hold on until uh, the new year, when hopefully things will be an awful lot better, or maybe a spring break. But you will love Eccles Hotel in Glengariff. You will love the rooms. Uh, you will love the beautiful hotel. It's about 250 years old. I think it could well be Ireland's oldest hotel um, because of uh, way back 250 years ago. Uh, a lot of wealthy people, of course, would you know travel either by, I don't know whether there was trains back, probably not in the 1700s, but certainly horse and carriage to do the tour of West Cork. And that was an overnight stop at the time, Eccles. And over the years then, an awful lot more people came to visit. A lot of people, British people, wealthy people came and stayed down in Glengariff. We know of Maureen O'Hara and what have you. But I tell you one thing, Kevin, they've got an outdoor hot tub that you need to jump into, particularly on a clear night, and just enjoy the stars. And they have a chef there by the name of Eddie Atwell. Uh, I don't think I've ever eaten food as good as his food down there. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, I think he cooked for the Queen in one of those uh, celebrity chef bake-offs there for the Queen's menu. He's an incredible chef, so you will love it. And we pass that gift on to you with the thanks of the people of Cork, but in particular, David Manning, the GM at Eccles Hotel in Glengariff. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. A lot to do this morning. I was just chatting there about the front of the examiner and the Echo today with the plans for the South Docks. It's an incredible uh, undertaking by O'Callaghan Properties. I was chatting about that and the Lord Mayor picked up the phone, joins me by phone, Lord Mayor Colum Kelleher. Colum, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good morning, Lord Mayor. This is an incredible uh, undertaking uh, by O'Callaghan Properties, a 350 million scheme. Um, we're talking about from the from the old Sexton site all the way down the South Keys. In fact, almost down to, say, for instance, um, Ford's Live at the Marquee, which is then owned by Glenvay Properties. So you think that the two sites then would probably hook up when both are built. Isn't that, isn't that right? That could happen. Yeah, that could happen. That's, I suppose that's the overall master plan. Um, no, that will obviously take a number of years, but I suppose this morning, you know, you've the 350 million euro um, planning applications that will be lodged, both of them. Um, it's a massive a vote of confidence for investments in the city. You couple that with the 364 million secured by Cork City Council from central government that we have ready to go for the public realm, the footpaths, the roads, the lighting, all that around us, and Kennedy Key, as you said, from the sextant, and actually outside the Ottlam's building looking at it now, and um, it's you know obviously in a sorry state, but it'll be when it's done, it'll be absolutely amazing. You know, it's a beautiful building. Just deal with the the Ottlam's building itself because that will be um, transformed, but obviously it can't be touched, and we don't want it touched. So they'll build around it and open the back of it. What will go into the Ottlam's building? Look, there's, there's, there's scope for 2,000 uh, apartments down here. Um, there's scope for a 1,200-bed hospital down here. There's a cinema, there's retail, there's, you know, uh, restaurants, accommodation. Um, like, the, 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 uh, the possibilities are endless. But if you look at, you know, number one navigation house, which is further up the Keys, um, that was developed in something similar to the facade of the old building was kept and they incorporated the new one around us. You can see from the pictures in the examiner and the echo this morning, that's exactly what they're going to do. And it looks absolutely amazing. You know, couple that with the bridge that will connect to the train rail. station. Yeah. You know, light rail. That's the light rail that would go, say, for instance, to Mahan, Black Rock, and other areas like that, is it? 
Yeah, my home place in Ballincollig, all the way down to Blackrock. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Like you see the investment that's on the North Docks at the moment. Um, you have the Dean Hotel. Yeah. You have, you know, you, you have the old Customs House. Um, it looks absolutely amazing. Um, and when you connect them by bridge now with the light rail onto the train station, um, it's just the possibilities are endless. The prism is is starting again, as you know. Mm. Um, so, like, what happened above in Dublin in the late 80s, early 90s with the IGC with Dublin City docks, we effectively now have a bigger blank canvas than they had above there, which I think is pivotal for attracting foreign and direct investments. Like, we do have multinationals and pharma and tech in Cork, but we want to we want to attract more of them. And it's like the old Kevin Costner movie, Neil, if you build it, they'll come. And this is a massive vote of confidence investment in the city, not only from, I suppose, O'Callaghan Properties, but central government, but also Cox City Council. Oh, and I don't, want to, I don't mean to knock it, particularly if they're putting nearly upwards of 100, 1, 2 and 3 bed apartments, but who can afford them? Who live in them? You know, look, obviously, uh, I suppose the price of accommodation is in the news every day now when we hear inflation and rent. Uh, prices going up and stuff like that. That obviously is a problem in itself. But um, I would be very confident the fact that O'Callaghan properties are even looking at developing apartments inside the city because for far too long now, all we've had is office blocks. And they said that it wasn't financially viable to do the apartments. For them to come along and propose what they're opposing is a vote of confidence in it. Um, in relation to uh, cost affordable, there's various schemes that the government, between government supports, between social, social affordable, cost rental, shared equity scheme, and also private. Um, there is opportunities there, you know, to alleviate the pressures on people too. Well, I suppose, yeah, it will alleviate pressure other places, which might free up some apartments or, you know, some houses. But aren't they also planning huge amounts of office development there besides the apartments? They are. And they're, they read 450,000 square feet of office and mixed use spaces. It's enormous. Exactly. You know, it's, it, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. Like, and if you look at the likes of the office spaces, I suppose, opposite City Hall and, and, and up, up by Kennedy Key and across the road in the North, North Docks, um, when you build high-end accommodation like that or, or office space like that, you put high-end accommodation next to it, the multinationals that will, I suppose, eventually inhabit those, hopefully, um, like, there's over 35 languages spoken in the city this morning, Neil, yeah. um, and, you know, the, all of those, I suppose, new workforce and new immigrants that were welcoming to Cork, gladly welcome to Cork, they'll need a place to live as well. And we're in, currently under our, our, in the development plan stages or in the development stage of our development plan, which will be voted by council, hopefully, and initiated at the end of next year. And that's based on the 15-minute uh, city centre model. So, and I spoke with, for, you take, for instance, uh, Alder Dormus, who recently opened up their European headquarters above in the airport. They looked at Dublin, they looked at Galway, they looked at Cork, and they picked Cork for the simple reason that you can be inside in City Hall or over in Kennedy Key or on Patrick Street, and 20 minutes later you can be fishing in Kinsale. It's quality, <laughs> of, it's quality of life. Quality of life they want. Um, no, you want a fast car to get down there in 20 minutes to get in the boat. Right? But it's possible. <laughs> Okay, talk about accentuating the positive. I know, yeah. I mean, actually, look, it's 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 a it's a great news story. Look, the docks has been underdeveloped for a century. They talk about Cork City awakening from a COVID slumber. Yeah, but I just wanted to ask you about that. No, it is fantastic positive news, and clearly, O'Callaghan properties aren't spooked in any way regarding COVID or the change in working arrangements for people working from home, or you know, the changing world we live in. They they're driving on in spite of all of that. 
Exactly. And like not only that, like the work and I suppose employment that will be created when the construction is going on will be a benefit to the local economy as well. And you have to remember here, like O'Callaghan Properties are a Cork-based company. This is a Cork-based company putting their money in their mouth with confidence behind their own city like they've done for so long. Um, It's absolutely amazing. And when do we expect Um, them to be mixing concrete on this? Well, look, there's planning applications being lodged at the moment and I'm not going to get involved in the planning process. Uh, it's not for me to do that and I believe that take its course. Yeah. Um, but look, I know that the elected members of Cork City Council are in favour of development of the Docklands. I know that the executive are keen on it as well. Um, but it's now with the planners and that has to take its okay, course. OK, i got to ask you, because everybody keeps referring it to Docklands, Docklands, Docklands. Is there any nod at all in the plans or can you guys get on board with O'Callaghan's to do something to um, remember the Dockers? Because they were working there for hundreds and hundreds of years and are gone, you know, that was where their workplace was, the camaraderie and all of the you know, freight that came in and out was because of their hard work. 100% and you know, we, we can't forget them, it was a working docks, a heavy working docks, in, you know, a lot of people I can remember, we can all remember Corn and Cole being drawn down in Kennedy Key, like you know Yeah, um, but what's, uh, is there anything planned though, no, there Lord is, Mayor? There is, there, there is, there is, Neil. Um, in fairness to Councillor uh, Kenneth Collins, he put down a motion at the Centenaries Committee um, of possibly putting up the likes of the statue to commemorate the, the Dockers. Now, um, it's got complete support um, from members of the Centenary Committee um, and I know it's going to go to Council um, and we will be passing, hopefully, well I'll be voting in favour but I can't speak to my colleagues but the, the inception or the interpretation I get from it is that it'll be broadly supported that um, when all the public realm works are being incorporated by Cork City Council that a statue to commemorate the Dockers and I suppose the work and the, the commitment they gave to Cork for over 200 years, 250 years will be commemorated and forgotten and done in a very tasteful way. Well, well, that sounds to me like it's a commitment then, so please push through on that, yeah? That would be great. Oh, 100%, 100%. I'll okay. be pushing it from my side, and I know the elected members that are safe will, will, will also. Hopefully we're pushing an open door. Lord Mayor, thanks for taking the call. Have a Neil, good day today. Neil, yeah. Neil, Neil, before you go away there, um, Brenda would kill me if I, if I didn't ask you. I've got uh, six days left in my November, and I don't see any donation from you. <laughs> I'm very, but, very disappointed. I, I'd gladly donate. What are you doing? Growing a beard, is it? No, I'm going to moustache. I'm going to moustache. I look like a 1920s gangster or one fellow called me Pat Short um, or Dinny from Glenroe. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> probably, I probably Dinny, the barfly. From, maybe, what was the barfly in Killing the Scully's name? Oh, Jaxie. That's my brother called me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, put, put me down. What's the going rate now for a November contribution? I just about 100 euros is the average, but a man like yourself, you, you surely do 500, like. <laughs> I'm going into a tunnel. You you can you can hit me up for five hundred on the air. You can hit me up for a hundred if you want. Come here, you hit politicians up in the air every day of the week. Of course I can. Five hundred. I suppose you've shamed me into it now. I probably can't back out. I'll murder Brenda Dennehy. I swear to God, when I get off the air. But it's a good cause, all right. So let's make it happen, all right. Thanks very much, Neil. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Oh my God, politicians, boy! You can't trust them. You just don't know what's going to happen next. But there you go. Job done. Back after ten. I'm Rory and I'm Valerie, and you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from six on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And another opportunity to scoop a 250 euro Tesco gift card. We have those to give away every single day. So give out a different shopping list every morning. I've been accused of reading them out too fast. So I'll slow down a bit 
this morning. Uh, don't worry if you missed anything this time around. I'll give you another opportunity or two between now and a quarter to midday. Then we'll open the phone lines and whoever gets them completely right wins a €250 Euro Tesco gift card. So here they are for you. Today's shopping list. Rosy Tinted Lip Balm. Butter Flavor Microwavable Popcorn. Four breaded cod fillets. Tesco lightly salted tortilla chips. A box of 12 OXO beef stock cubes. Hellman's vegan garlic mayonnaise. A copy of the Echo. Tesco sensitive anti-dandruff shampoo. All right, that's the last one. So I know what they're doing. I mean, it'd be much easier if we just said shampoo, the Echo, mayonnaise, OXO, tortilla chips, cod fillets, popcorn and lip balm. Uh, but there's a few more words to each of those. But anyway, you got to work for your prize. 250 euro Tesco diff gift card every single day. So I'll read them out again a couple of times between now and midday and away we go. And also don't forget, Know Your North Side is played again today. Another 200 euro cash from Groner Broughter Credit Union. I'll tell you more about that throughout the course of the morning. But lines open at one 106 Text 0868-104-106. A lot of calls happening organically as we go along. And the chats right. about the South Dock actually prompted some calls. Colin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. So, um, O'Callaghan Properties are going to put their money where their mouth is. $350 million will be spent down in the South Docks. Uh, I can't see any downside to this, to be honest. Can you? Uh, not at all, Neil. I mean, as you know, we have a camper there and we travel all over Europe and we see lots of areas where the docklands are being redeveloped uh, into social spaces, office spaces and living accommodation and so on. And um, you, you were talking, when you were talking to Lord Mayor about something to commemorate, uh, to remember the, the original use of the docklands, you know, the industrial side of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was mentioned that uh, maybe um, a statue, you know, to the dockers, and that would be great too. What you do see in a lot of these type of uh, redevelopment scenarios is um, the old industrial side of it is kept there sort of as, 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 as artefacts. Like the silos? Well, no, no, not silos. But for example, the cranes um, would, be, would be, you know, painted up and left there, you know, not, 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 not in use, obviously, as, as, as an artefact. Um, often two times two, the, the old railway track that service the docks would be there with maybe a few old-fashioned... Uh, Goods railway wagons. I say that I, I would think that will happen, though. Wouldn't you think? Yes. Yeah, it should. Well, it should do. I mean, that's, that's generally what you see on these redeveloped docklands. You know, even even up in in, in um, Killaloo, there there's a, a small little dock area when the when the when the barges used to go in there before when they were drawing goods, and they have a few cranes and a few bits of track there, all lovely painted up again as as an artifact and a, a, a look to the past. You know. I'm looking at the computer-generated images in the papers this morning and I can't see close enough to anything to see if any of that has been purposed in to the development. But I know I was once down in uh, in, in Cape Town. I don't know whether you got down there in your camper van. But, uh, they, yeah, but it was exactly like the South Jetty down there and all of the old railway tracks were there with the yeah. uh, old goods carriages still there. Um, yeah. A lot of the lifting equipment was there. Um, the cranes were all there uh, and they had put a, a fabulous hotel in there and it was just gorgeous. You could see exactly how it used to look over the hundreds exactly. of years previous. It was a beautiful job. It, it, yeah, you know, we're very sympathetic to the, to the old Correct. days. Correct, that's the and word, yeah. And yeah, It would be very interesting. Now, I know a lot of this stuff here is gone. Um, there's, there's nothing at all there really. But I mean, I'm sure it, it could be sourced. 
and and, uh, and 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 put in there, you know, for, from from other docklands and maybe even out out, out of scrapyard. Don't you know? scrub the memory of what it was like, is what you're saying, yeah. Exactly, Neil. Exactly, and I think to to, to add to the atmosphere of the place as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. I hope so, to take it. I hope, we might try and get a call in with O'Callaghan Properties see if they propose to do that. Um, yeah, your yeah. Mind rest. And as you say, what you described there in Cape Town, like, was kind of, uh, you know, bang on the button, you know? It was exactly, exactly what you like to see yeah. here on Lee side. Okay, yeah. good man, Colin. Thanks for that. Appreciate okay. it. Cheers. Okay, Neil, Take cheers. care. Good luck on the travels. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you, sir? I actually, got, I actually checked in because I knew you were coming on there as to where we actually are with regards to the convention centre. But anyway, you don't believe that we can trust people to get this across the line, is it? Well, I'd say Gannett Brooks would probably have the free travel by the time this one will be built anyway because, um, let's be honest, he'd be inside a nursing home. And the talking about, I mean, building statues to the doctors, which I'm all in favour of. Maybe we should build a bronze statue of Indy Kinney turning the side in the convention centre site uh, in 2016. In, in next been, February, it will be six years. Six years, because we were down there at the time protesting because the water campaign was on that time. And um, nothing years. has happened since. Nothing has happened since. And I mean, all these grandiose plans now for the docks and all this morning and the unveiling and the computer generalized image and everything and whatever you have in yourself. There's no talk about the convention centre. I firmly believe this thing is just after being kicked down the road that eventually the people involved in that they will come along and say, look, it's not feasible now to do it, right? Then they're going to put in planning permission for extra apartments overlooking the river, which should never, ever, ever be agreed to. If this is not going to go ahead, we are staff for parks in Cork City. We only have the little piece park by the electric bar. We have Bishop Lucy Park, and that's it. If there's no convention centre going in there, not another brick of an apartment block should be put into that section. That should then be taken over by Cox City Council and make a lovely park facing the river. But the they don't. But Cox. they don't own the land. They can't do that. That's private land. Well, they can. They can compulsory uh, put a compulsory. Like order. I just That's checked it because Barry Roach did an article at the back end of August, just gone, which is only a couple of months ago, where he spoke to Simon Coveney about it, and Coveney says that it still will happen. Now we've got fifty million taxpayers' money going into this, and uh, yeah, Bannon, yeah. Live Nation, will yeah. put in 30 million. But he's still confident, even all these years later, that it will happen. But I mean, it's, with all these plans for the Docklands this morning, on deal, and everything, the Lord may have been on there. And uh, not a word, as I said, was mentioned about the convention centre. I personally, I and mean, most people in Cork, that you will ask, Neil, firmly believe that this thing would never go in that site. There'd be other plans put forward there, and I think that should never happen. We need a park there. If there's no convention centre going there, make a park for the people of Cork. Now, and why do you think it wouldn't go ahead? I mean, what would be the reasoning behind that? Is it to do with COVID or big numbers gathering? Or well, uh, have well, Live Nation I, I, been spooked? I, 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 there, there was a problem with it before the COVID ever came. But I think, I mean, with the COVID now, and we don't know how long this thing is going to take and how long economies around the world are going to take to recover from this. Like, and I think it's going to be parked. I don't think it will ever go into that site at this stage. It's a pity O'Callaghan Properties, I mean, God bless the man, he was alive at the time, Owen O'Callaghan. He wanted to build the Sarver down on the dock. He did. And it, it would be up and running now because in fairness, any project I've ever been involved in, it's always just, it hits to go and then off we go. Yeah. The difference so, here uh, is that um, the convention centre is public-private money, that South Jetty and the docks is private money. 
So that will get done. This is a business opportunity yeah. for O'Callaghan no, Properties. I mean, and then I, they, will I, sell, I, they will sell a lot of the buildings on then to international buyers and what have you who want to take all, on office all, space. All these great tenants, as I say, for the docks now. But like, as the Lord Mayor walked down, uh, you see what happened to Roman House there during the week there. Some of the facade fell down on yeah. the path there, right? We saw what happened farther up the street there. Northman Street, a once fantastic, great trading street, Neil, right? Has been neglected over the years. Like you go to Blackpool, have you been in the water course so lately? Or yeah, Dublin Street? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the amount of empty buildings, old buildings, and new buildings that was brought on that have never been occupied. Like I mean, we built a shopping centre out there, and the old heart of Blackpool, which you would have an affinity with yourself, yeah. has been totally neglected. Now, I mean, has the Millard Mayor ever walked out Dublin Street on water course road? Yeah, but, um, you know, like a lot of the old Blackpool that you're talking about didn't have a whole lot of retail at the best of times, you know? I mean, like, no, but I mean, like, I mean, they're on the boat, I mean, trying to get social housing. And now the people of Blackpool and areas like that got a fantastic shopping centre. Uh, they, but at, at the cost of the old village, I mean, and the, the surrounding areas like Dublin Street and the Water Coast Road, they've been talking that there's weeds going out, so the windows of some of those houses. Yeah, but that, yeah, I mean, it, that's residential, and that is an absolute shame. It really is. And when you're talking about transformation of one area of the city and dereliction in the other, I know what you're saying when you say that. But that's yeah. that, that's that's down to City Hall, you know. You know, you look at the dock. The dock proposal is is a developer just getting on with what developers do. Well, this is the point. I mean, they have, have the councillors, I mean, they're supposed to look after their wards. They come and yeah. have any of the councillors and, and previous Lord Mayors. Have they ever been out in Blackpool and Wild Coast Road? Have they ever seen well, the dereliction? Have they ever uh, seen what's happening in the North Main Street? Like, I mean, how trading has been affected and the, the, the type of buildings that's there, you know, that are old and they're falling into disrepair. Now, as regards to Oymalford, the, the whole thing with the Dockers, I mean, the memorial, but also something which we need as well. And in fairness, there's only one person, Damer O'Coyle, has brought this up. And it's a memorial, a proper memorial in the city to the people that died in this city, in the Sloan area, during the famine. If you go to St. Joseph's outside in December, there's a big headstone down there. There's 10,000 people buried in the flat down there, right? Mm. And you, you have Mighty D. Higgins' his name in big letters out there. This is not a memorial to Mighty D. Higgins. This is the thousands of people, concrete, that starved to death. But what we desperately need is a proper famine memorial in the city centre or the surrounding areas. To, to remember those poor souls that starved to death in this city. And a lot, of course, came to Cork back in the 1840s to board ships to leave the country because of famine. That was This was the main, here in Waterford, were the two ports where people were leaving from. Yeah, well, as I said, I'd be pushing for the, the Dockers Memorial, obviously, but also something to remember the, 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 the people of the famine. Okay. I mean, we had this ridiculous thing before you go. I remember I spoke to you all those years ago, the listening posts, down in Penrose Wharf. They were lovely, I mean, but they got wrecked. They got dilapidated. I mean, they're, like, they're, they're just like in the decommissioned lap dancing poles, you know, just is. Well, it's a shame, actually, because they told beautiful audio stories. They were gorgeous to stand they're and listen to. But they're, just, they're just a sad reflection of a... Of a it was just ridiculous. I mean, what they should have done that in there, where the old part of the Inner was there, where many, many fathers had to leave their families behind to go to work in England. They should have had a statue, like something like any more Golden Corp, of a father with a suitcase going away, and the wife and the kids saying goodbye. That would be more appropriate. Mm, okay. Run for local council. Make a difference, why don't you? See how many votes you might get. No, I, I'm waiting for the big one when Michael D goes. <laughs> Take care, John. <laughs> Cheers for now. Lines open at 1850 104 106. We got calls and texts on the way. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 04 106. Red FM.
Andy Chench to say a special thank you on air to my sister Kathleen. Absolutely. Would also like to thank her husband Sean and the kids Siobhan and Dylan and Katie for helping me out with my girls. We were all hit with COVID. We were lost without them. I think it's so nice because my sister has early onset dementia and I would love to show her how much we love her and thank her for helping me out. And that's from Liz and Saoirse, Michaela and Rose. So well done on that. With regards to some conversation on air yesterday where people can't get people to go to work. Well, they can't find new staff. Hospitality staff, Neil, especially on PUP, are very employable in most jobs. They don't need to upskill just yet in many cases. Just because nightclubs aren't employing people for the foreseeable future, staff could easily source another job if they really tried. For example, a supermarket job, a deli, hotel accommodation, customer services, jobs related to whatever, even hospital service jobs. Instead of waiting for PUP every week, they should get some work. There are lots of signs in shops looking for Christmas staff. There are thousands of jobs out there. All peeping people drawing dole or whatever it's called should, be, should if they're able-bodied, be made to work at least 20 hours per week. Plenty of assistance is needed by the elderly and mothers with young children too, uh, says A by email. The power of media actually is quite interesting because Richie has a very, I think it's a funny uh, I don't know whether he means it to be lighthearted, but I think it's incredibly powerful. He says that um, with regards to the power of media and people doing what they're told to do or believing what they hear, he says he was listening to, um, it's, this is more to do with the power of Kira Evans in the morning. Apparently she was doing a traffic report and uh, Richie was in traffic at the time on the South Douglas Road and Kira was warning about potential fog and he said, the minute she mentioned fogs or turning on fog lights, he says, all of the cars in his surroundings, all my fellow commuters, ob- ob- obediently activated their fog lights on command. <laughs> Which is the power of Kira Evans, I suppose. And another one then regarding the media. Long-time loyal listener. I'm driving, listening to the, the uh, morning news headlines on breakfast while driving, which prevented me from texting at the time. But the main headline was the majority of people are demanding further COVID restrictions. I was taken aback by the story. Not one person I have met recently has voiced this opinion to me. If anything, they're terrified of any potential further restrictions, particularly younger people with kids in school and business people. I travel the breadth of Cork and Munster daily. I'm an essential worker who maintains communication links and faces customers. I've worked throughout the pandemic and supported restrictions at the time, and I am pro-vax. What is happening now in the mainstream media at the moment can only be described as psychological warfare on a weary and punch-drunk population. That news story, which was based on a Department of Health survey, which in itself is a red flag, is just an attempt by the state to soften people up to another lockdown and an attempt to deflect at their own shocking attempts to plan for or implement a plan to deal with the winter surge. Similar stories led the news on RTE at nine o'clock last night. It's shocking to see this and media outlets should be more aware of this fear mongering, says Mike in North Cork. Um, he takes to task this research that said that the majority of people are demanding further restrictions. And you know what? I'd be hard pushed to even think of one person that I've spoken to recently who are saying, oh yeah, bring it on, lock us down, lock us down, to be absolutely honest with you. Anyway, Donald, what do you make of that? I'm just looking at it here now. I'm just looking at it here. Yesterday's Daily Mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lock it us down. We wa- huh? Lock well, us oh down. yeah, we want lock us down. It's not very fine to be talking like, you know. But is it it's true though when, when we hear these surveys? You or? see, it's a thing called conditioning, as you probably are aware of yourself. It's psychological conditioning. The power of suggestion. 
Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, he calls it, like uh, Mike calls it, psychological warfare on a weary and punch-strong population, he says. I, I couldn't disagree with that, with, that, with that description. I couldn't disagree with it. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, as I said to your, your, your researcher there uh, 20 minutes ago, we have, a government, we, have, we have three parties in government. Let's, let's, get kind of, let's get kind of crude about it. They have a total majority of three seats. Yeah, you're right. They're, going, they're falling from, from situation to situation. If we have a lockdown coming up to Christmas, there will be businesses inside in this country that will never again open. Sure, they're only hanging on as it is. You do know that they're saying there's no announcement of any of that expected this week anyway. And you do know that numbers are plateauing. Indeed, it could even go so far as to say the numbers are falling. Well, they're saying the numbers are falling. Well, maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'm going for a booster. I'm going for a booster in 20 minutes' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. see, the thing about it is, I was vaccinated in Planicilty in West Cork six months ago. By a sing- it was a single, it was a single jab. Yeah. And I was, I was, you know, contrary you know, to the people who say, "Yeah, but he's a nut." I was very thankful to get it, but now I'm informed that. It's like a battery in the sense that is it the power of the jab I got is waning. The yeah, but that's the way it is. is with all vaccines. You know that. That's why you get a flu jab every year. Well, it's only time. recently, you know, I discovered that and I was talking to a medical person in the all last right, well, of days. Okay, you didn't know. Okay, all right. I all didn't right. know. I yeah. mean, I'm a lay person. Like, you know, you see that we're getting information from all angles. Right? Mm. And the vast majority of information we're getting from getting out and our televisions and our newspapers and our radios, they're not for medical people at all. Ah, uh, well, I mean, like, there's a lot well, of medical I mean, yeah. people rolled out, and there have been for two years now. And a lot of them have contrary opinions on things. So there has been a lot of medics on air. Uh, I mean, well, I, I, I avoid them as much as I can because I want to talk to regular people like your good self, but they're constantly being rolled out in television and radio. Well, you know, there's a lot of people who are very tired of it now. Oh, chalk it down. Yeah, yeah. You know? Some have COVIDitis and others, and there's a new term now called lock it downers. Um, oh, but the, I but see. A, but a this punt- is a nice written nice to that, isn't it? Well, I just see a text coming in from somebody saying that lock it downers are mostly those who are, say, either on the pup or working for the public service. You'd never hear the self employed looking to lock down anything. There is that about it, yes. I think you need to be very careful. You're you know? very careful, is it? Well, I said we need, as 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 a people, we need to be very careful. Yeah, but you're fine. We, I mean, you're you're grand. Well, I will. I mean, I, I presume nothing. Presume to presume something is the mother of all. You know what? Yeah, yeah. You know, because we're living, we're living what I would describe is a very sad country. Why? Why very is it sad? We'll get through this. Sad. Well, we hope we will be will be alive. We'll be alive by the time we're off the the other end of it. And when will the other end of it be? Ah, but you're you're suggesting that there's going to be, and we don't know again on the news this morning on the BBC that we're talking about. Uh, there's going to be an awful lot of deaths right across Europe, but we we don't know that to be sure. Well, you know, I I, I do hope not. You know, I mean, apparently there are 200,000 people in this country that will under no circumstances whatsoever get a vaccination. Yeah, but a lot of them are being well, very, very careful. 
Well, valid point, but the other side of that particular coin is, are, are they, to a certain extent, holding the rest of us to ransom? Well, they say that they are with regards to uh, hospital beds and ICU, if you're to believe the stats. But then again, we had numbers early in the week where 45 people died in hospitals last week, um, and there was not one person without a vaccination who died. They were all vaccinated. They were all vaccinated. Now, that was bizarre. Uh, the figures that came out for a seven-day period up to last Saturday said that there were 48 ICU admissions, 23 were fully vaccinated, five part, partly vaccinated and 20 unvaccinated. That's fine. But the total number of deaths were 45. 41 of the deaths were fully vaccinated and four of the deaths were partially vaccinated. There were zero unvaccinated deaths. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Tis, 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 you know. But as, as you know, as I was sort of, in, I was informed that you know, I need, to, I have to get a booster to bring up the strength of the. This, I mean, I can only explain this in layman's terms because I'm not a medic. Um, to bring up the strength of the of the the vaccination that I got six months ago. That's right. The efficacy wanes, they call it. But at least you know that's, that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's, Good man. That's, that's the apparently that's the medical description of it. All right, let me get some more calls on the air. Off you go, get the job, Donald. Thanks for taking the call, Lisa. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, you um, are okay. You want to talk about the booster? It's it's more like a third vaccination, to be honest with you. That's right. Now I I, I won't keep you long, Neil. Just I'll make a very short, concise point. It's um Sam, you know, Professor Sam McConkey that to be on there on the Tonight Show and. Um, prime time and all those ones. He's um, the professor. Yep. Anyway, he said widespread COVID nineteen booster is unlikely to fix the problem of rising cases. It's not enough to control COVID alone. It will only fix it for a few months. What's needed is a new vaccine. Well, Pfizer have a new tablet coming out. That's right. And it's supposed I to heard. be a game changer. So we, I mean, yeah. we heard that about vaccines too, but. That's the that's the next stage. Is this Pfizer tablet by all accounts? But like, yeah, but a couple of months ago they were saying right that they were bringing out a new vaccine, and what they were going to do is put the spike of all the different COVID um, variants that have been um, noted up to now, and that they, there was five at that stage. So they were going to put a spike of every virus into the new vaccine. And, well, I, I kind of was afraid of when I was thinking about that, all the different viruses put into it. But, um, like, here we are now, and if he's saying that if you get the booster, like, it's, it's not going to make any difference as such. So I was wondering, is there any chance you could get him on? Why, wouldn't, why, would anybody say, why would anybody say that getting vaccinated wouldn't make any difference? Sure, like, of course it would make a difference. It could keep you out of a hospital, it could keep you out of ICU. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Now, that was on News Talk. He said that me the other day. Like, just, just, um, there was a caption of it on, online as well. Well, and, I mean, uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to put in a call to him, but I, I'm very slow to be bringing on lots of different clinicians and virologists and doctors and, you know, consultants and stuff because they all have different things to say. And I wonder are people, we- I wonder are people weary of all that now? It's much better to Kinda. be talking to the likes of yourself. I mean... I can if you want, but like we are where we're at, at like, and COVID is going to be around just like flu. It's another form and strain of, not dissimilar to, to flu, but obviously a lot more deadly. It isn't going to go away, but medicine will, ultimately, medicine will ultimately beat it and control it. 
That's true. But you know what? I actually didn't want to get this vaccine, but I had to because I have a few health problems and I kind of got a kick in a screening, to be honest. So, I mean, I've had the two and I just feel, well, if he thinks it's not going to make much of a difference, only for a couple of months, like I was saying, should I, should I be putting these things into your body again? That's a call you're you going to have to make yourself. I'm not in position to tell you whether you should or not. Um, certainly not on air because uh, that's, a, that's a personal decision. But, uh, I mean, you know, you, you didn't have any reaction to the other two jabs, did you? It may, it um, may, you... I did. I did really, yeah. I, I, I wasn't feeling well for a few days, like, like yeah. everybody else. Yeah. Nothing major, but I, I don't know. I just do you believe? Do you believe in vaccines yourself? Um, I, I would do whatever to make myself safe. Yeah, yeah. Well, if the answer you know, to I believe in vaccines is yeah, then surely be to God you should get a booster, shouldn't you? If you believe in them. I mean, yeah. I, like I don't know what to tell you because I know people who are doubly vaxxed and very, very healthy and absolutely got hammered by it. So I know. You know. Yeah, this is it, you see. You, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And the fear of when you go in to get it, wondering, am I going to be okay this time or, or whatever, you know? It's just um, fr- a bit frightening. But anyway, that's all. I, all right, I was Jason. Just thinking okay. I hope you make the right decision. Make the right decision for yourself. Re- uh, no, good morning. Good morning, mate. Thanks for that. Thanks for calling. I'll come back to this topic again in a few minutes. I just want to go back, actually, to um, issues around the docks. You're an ex-docker, Noel, is that right? That's right, uh, Noida Casual Docker. Okay, and is that going back a few years now, it is? It's going back since 1983, kind of that thing, you know? Okay, from 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 83 forward, or, or did you stop in 83? Well, I was kind of in the note all the time, you know what I mean, like? On the boats? Yeah, walking on the boats. But I want to come away there, I want to come away, I want to come away from that department there. What I'm on about there, Neil, is uh, John made uh, a good conversation with you there, well, to go about um all the ex-ships there that left Cork. Tomorrow night, I'm actually having a meeting there about that. Uh, all our families are a part of the uh, the old Cork steam packet, and my family and other families, they're all a part of the Innisfallon and the B&I and the Ken ship. Are you saying they all worked on them, is it? Yes, that's actually that's actually correct. But, Neil, since the anniversary on the 11th of November uh, of the SSR Moor, I've been in contact with armed team people from all over the world and to credit yourselves as well there for the announcing the anniversary for me. But uh, what I'm seeing today is um, I made contact there as well with a lot of uh, people that walked in the old steam packet, walked in the old B&I crews that actually walked in the Innisfallon from 1969. So on our SSR more page that we have on Facebook, we're actually after calling the meeting and we're having a meeting tomorrow night about this monument, getting the monument sorted out for Penrose Key for all the next members of all the... Did, uh, didn't the SS Ardmore hit a, a, a mine, wasn't it? That's correct, yeah. She actually hit a mine and she was, tar- she was torpedoed off the Tusker Rock there, you know. Was it a torpedo then? Well, they reckon, like, they reckon, they reckon, like, they, they actually reckon that it was a torpedo, you know. That the Germans at the time were laying them by, by helicopter, and uh, she as soon as as soon as she travelled that way, she was blown to bits. Like so, she would have been travelling across to Fishguard, uh, second year of the war, November nineteen forty. Um, how, how many? How many? How many lives were lost? There was there was uh, twenty four men. There was only two found, which was uh, my great granduncle Michael Raymond from Samory. And the captain, the two of them, actually uh, 
washed up on the beach in the, in in Wales. I made a very good contact there during the anniversary there with a lady there uh, back in Wexford there and uh, her mother was 90 in um, back there in uh, 1998 and uh, I got a great story there on she actually told me the history of uh, what happened uh, to my great-grand-uncle there. Um, he, the Friday before the sailing, he was actually in their house and he brought the mother's sister to the uh, the pictures. And um, the following week, uh, he was gone. Like, and um, They found the wreck, didn't they? Find the wreck. Um, they, and it took a very, it took a very long time to find it. Now, uh, yeah, but, uh, it was like fifty, sixty years later. I think it was at the back end yeah. of the nineties, wasn't it? But didn't they, 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 didn't they confirm that it was? Um, it did strike a mine. I don't know whether well, it was. They definitely, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So, do you want, do you want to commemorate that on that key? That would be Penrose Wharf, wouldn't it? Penrose Key. Well, DSS, DSS, more is already commemorated. Like that, actually has the plaque, but the other side of the key is what we're working on at the moment. Like, for the Innisfallen and all that, like, that has to be common, that has to be recognised, like, and they have to put a plaque there for that, like, for all them ex-members, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's so much history there, you know, then there's plenty square footage to, to commemorate every single important event or every single important, you know, business or, or you know, episode in our history. Unbelievable. It is actually a beautiful key there. I mean, I was only down there a few weeks when I videoed it there for the page. You have all the benching and everything and all the trees and it is actually well laid out like, you know what I mean? But um, there was the poles there that you used to actually, right. actually give the history of yeah. the... They're all broken the and dilapidated. Actually, yeah. they were vandalised there a couple of years ago, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. unfortunately, like... Yeah, yeah. You know? it's like everything, unless it's behind impenetrable glass or wire meshing... They will be destroyed over time. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. just that type is that type of wall, like for sure. You know and are I mean? you like, are you guys gathering in the Kerryman's Bar? That's up around Dylan's Cross, isn't it? Is that Dylan's Cross? Well, I tell you now, now we're actually gathering there tomorrow night at eight o'clock, and we're going to form a committee as well for the SS Airmore. And as I said, the crews of all that are involved in the ships I just mentioned and we're going to go ahead and we're going to do our best to uh, get all these people right. recognised, you know what okay. I mean? Well, stay in touch, all right, Noel? I appreciate that, Ian, Thanks very much indeed. All right, fair play to you. Great stories, great memories and awful tragedies um, in and out of the port of Cork. Uh, keep in touch and we'll come back to you when you have updates on that. By email, I find it very strange that the anti-vaxxers get plenty of opportunity to have their opinions aired, quoting quite frankly ridiculous statistics that they claim prove the vaccines do not work. Um, you had a gentleman on the air called Jim who used death rates amongst the vaccinated as a case in point. Uh, but with 93% of the population vaccinated, of course, the death rate would be substantially higher, unfortunately. Uh, people who passed away from COVID that had underlying health conditions are equally loved and missed by their families and friends. I believe the figure that 7% of the population uh, taking up 50% of the ICU beds actually says it all. You also gave airtime to an anti-vaxxer who complained about COVID certs, another one about hotel guidelines. Um, now, I know the guy, This uh, you, maybe you should ring him back and ask him the following. Uh, was he going into pubs using someone else's COVID cert? What does his job entail? Did he inform his vulnerable clients that he was unvaccinated? Uh, people making points on principle claiming their civil liberties are being violated really need to take a walk uh, or quite frankly, P-I-S-S off. 
We get vaccinated not only to protect ourselves, but society at large, especially the more vulnerable with cancer, asthma, cardiac issues. I wonder if the anti-vaxxers you give airtime to would give up an ICU bed, should they unfortunately require one, to someone who has done everything to protect themselves and society at large. I hope you get to read this out, says Barry, by email. Uh, to Neil at uh, redfm.ie. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-810-4106. Red FM. Texter says it's, no, it's plain as the nose in your face. No, no, no wonder they're reporting things plateauing or numbers dropping. Sure, people can't get a test anywhere. Easy to see falling numbers when tests aren't being done. It's clearly, maybe it could be people who have COVID but have nowhere to go and get it confirmed. So they're just at home or doing the right thing, hopefully. But they can't get a PCR test unless they pay for it privately, that is. Uh, mind you, you could get an antigen test, but who do you tell then after you test positive with an antigen test? I, another person says, I was thinking the same thing yesterday. I don't know anyone who would want a complete lockdown. Where was that survey done? Uh, in fact, Mark says, can't come on, but lockdown the unvaccinated. These, their selfishness and warped view of the world is what's prolonging this pandemic. It's about time the rest of us got on with their lives and it won't happen until these people... That is the unvaccinated cop on and do the right thing, uh, says Mark. Okay, I want to get some more texts and emails from different topics of conversation during the week on the air, but I'm also conscious that Finbar is there. So just one or two. With regards to the kids being uh, suspended from the primary school in Toker because of what I call runaway knock. Um, People are saying the name has changed, but uh, just a few emails on that. The story about the kids in Toker being suspended is told wrong. Many nights, some of those kids are messing in the gardens and kicking the doors on the bungalows on Tremor Road. One very elderly lady in particular is frightened and constantly calling the guards. Some of the parents have even been spoken to. That day, some of them had the Toker Boys School tracksuits on them. It was the community guard who went in and eventually told the school about the, as I call it, uh, runaway knock. Not everybody actually agrees with the terminology runaway knock. They say it's uh, it's incorrect and outdated, so you're entitled to that. Um, and then lots on hunting, which I will come back to after um, after 11 o'clock this morning. But do, do also be aware that we're heading into the Christmas period when many people will be sending Christmas cards. And year in, year out, I hear stories of people's mail being tampered with particularly around Christmas time, and money taken out of the cards. And I'm starting to get them already. So just be aware that if you're sending cash or whatever the case may be, I don't know whether it happens on this side or the other side. I really don't know. But Pat says, uh, I thought this sort of thing was no longer happening. A Christmas card just arrived from the USA, and it's quite obvious someone had made an opening to see if there was cash in the card. Can people just not send money on Christmas cards or birthday cards, etc. anymore? Thankfully, there wasn't money in the card, but I know the elderly people still send cash. Whether it happened in America or Ireland or anywhere in between is anyone's guess, says Pat. We got onto on post um, and they gave a very lengthy reply, which I don't have time to read out in total. But they did say from the pictures that we sent them that it doesn't look like the um, actual... Uh, well, he calls it a Christmas card. They say it was, wasn't very well packaged. Uh, it wasn't put in a jiffy bag or sturdy paper wrapping. Well, it wouldn't have been really. It was a Christmas card in an envelope. But they say that, um, you know, that sometimes posts can get damaged uh, at sorting offices or local, da- local, uh, local depots and places like that. Uh, they say that uh, parts of the paper can weaken in transit. Uh, they're automatically sorted by equipment that can possibly also damage them. But they say that if they do come across damaged items, they um, carefully tape them and send them out in you know better condition than they receive them. But they say stuff, if it's badly damaged, 
they put into plastic pouches. And that's all very well and fair play to them for that response. But it doesn't take from the fact that somebody somewhere is opening mail and taking money for it because it happens every single year. So you just need to be aware of that. Okay, quick call this side of 11 o'clock. Um, Fimba, good morning. So we're talking about the South Docks, the North Docks, the Innisfallen, the SSR Moor, all of the dockers I, I, down the Keys. Go ahead. I was at a commemoration there, there in Atlanta three weeks ago, and it's a pity today it was shocking. That, but it was a lovely service. Priest, the whole lot, the, the piper, uh, the ship gave a few hoots, and I thought it was lovely. But if they're looking for the commemoration, go down to the old head of Kinsale, up uh, to commemorate the Lusinkin of Lusitania. Yeah. And it's magnificent. Every person on the ship, his name is on it. It's made in the form of a wave. And every person who survived, there's a, a lifesaver around the neck. Was that, is that an old Napoleonic tower there? That's that right. they, uh, you see, I've been down there, but I haven't been in it, but it looks very impressive. It's beautiful, absolutely. And everyone that died, there's a cross after it. In fact, there's, there's one name of my own name in it. Uh, I believe it was a Welshman. But... Um, it, it, if they're looking for something and they have an idea, go down and have a look at that. It is a beautiful idea. By the way, I grew up with the Raymonds. We lived in the same terrace. I didn't know Michael had died, but um, he was he was dead before I was born. But I know all the rest of the family. From the SSR more? No, no, I mean the, 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 the Raymond family. The chapter was talking to you. Oh, and, yeah. The, okay, well, he was a doctor all his life. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting that people are just co- conscious of the fact that there's all this development going to be done down in the port area and the docks, yeah. and they don't want it all sanitised and the history forgotten about. That's the point. It is, it, I, I, absolutely. I, I love history, and I think that should be... I'm obviously saying that there should be something like a statue or something to the dockers down there. The amount, I mean, that port kept the city of Cork on for years upon years upon years. Yeah. So I, we shouldn't forget those people. But I, that, that dad wrote, it was sunk. He said that it was a mine or, or, a, or a torpedo. I don't think it was ever an answer given to it. They, I think in 98 they did prove on examining the wreck that it had a hole uh, similar to the type of hole that either a mine or a torpedo would put in it. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, I, I will say it was one of the two, they reckon, but... But anyway, it, it was certainly it, war related anyway, if that you can be sure to oh, say. Oh, definitely without a doubt. They, they were born not to, not to go out there because the Germans were after course, you know? Yeah. So, all right. so anyway, all right. that's just what I want to say about Thanks, it. Thanks, Finbar. Appreciate it. Uh, right on time. News is next. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, know your north side. An association with Gronenbroher Credit Union could win for you €200 Euro cash between now and midday. And also, later in the week, a chance of winning a massive €3,000. So if you really know your north side, you need to prove it to win. Courtesy of ourselves and Gronenbroher Credit Union. So this is an audio piece for you. Not now, but a little later on this morning. You need to identify. And clearly, there's a north side connection. Have a listen. I think. Very short. They're tough. I think. All right. Okay, that's it. I can say no more than that. Um, obviously, somebody famous for you to be able to identify the voice. Meanwhile, here is my shopping list again for the second time this morning. A 250 euro Tesco 
gift card every single day. 50 stores in the shopping centre and Tesco, proud partnership with Douglas Shopping Centre and they celebrate 50 years in business uh, this month, as in 50 years open at Douglas Village Shopping Centre. So here is the list for you. Um, it's quite, um, there's a lot of words involved, but clearly, you know, it's a 250 euro voucher, so I need you to work for it. So read this back for me when I open the phone lines just before midday. Rosy tinted lip balm. Buttered flavoured microwavable popcorn. Four breaded cod fillets. Tesco lightly salted tortilla chips. A box of 12 OXO beef stock cubes. Hellman's vegan garlic mayonnaise. A copy of the Echo. Tesco sensitive anti-dandruff shampoo. Now, if you've missed any of those, and God knows you couldn't write all those down in the same speed of time as I'm reading them out. I'll give them another lash in about a half an hour's time and open the phone lines and away we go. From yesterday on hunting, uh, I'm emailing regarding to the hunting that you dealt with on the air yesterday morning and I wanted to comment on what was stated about hounds, their care and their owners. Hounds are looked after with the highest rules and regulations. They are the kindest breed of dog you will find. That's not to say there are people who do it wrongly, or don't abide by the rules in, in every aspect of life. So don't paint us all with the same brush. I adore my hounds. They're like family pets. And there are two that have become family pets after their hunting life ended. They're 14 and 17 years old now and in the best health at their age. I hunted for 20 plus years. Long may hunting last. Feel free to read out my email. You know, I suppose to some extent the issue here had to do with dogs on people's property, you know. Um, and also... Um, guns. Now, I think we managed to ascertain over the last few days that in the case with my conversation with Anne, there may have been a Harrier Club, then at another time, a gun club. Um, so the Harriers don't have guns, they have dogs, they do have horns. But gun clubs are totally different. They go with guns. Because she said to me, I don't want, she came back again yesterday and said, I don't want hunters, hounds, or guns on my property. It is illegal for it to happen, and I'm asking for it to be stopped. She said on the last Sunday, she didn't catch sight of men carrying guns, but on previous occasions, she has seen hunters with guns, and she has heard gunshots nearby. I would think we're talking about two different organizations there, to be fair to the Harriers. Now, the hounds were were on her land and in her garden, etc., etc., etc. But perhaps it's fair to say now that a gun club was there at a different time, to the Harrier Club, but whatever it is, she's plagued by it and has had enough of it. And there was a big response to it, actually, with regards to people texting on the subject of, uh, you know, guns and gun clubs and things like that. It's not acceptable hunting. It has to be banned. It's outdated. It's cruel. They also go cubbing. So hounds get the scent of blood from the cubs. Um, Hunters make it sound as if, ah, sure, there's no harm in it. In 2021, it has to be banned. It is all utterly cruel. Uh, And one or two more. There are foxes all over the place where I live. I was talking to a local sheep farmer. Not one sheep has been killed by a fox in 40 years. Between lamping rabbits and harriers on his land, he is plagued by them. Harriers who starve the packs for days before they're left loose. The dogs are not treated well. So if the dogs get lost, they are left behind. I found a few over the years. Fox hunting is old It's cruel and it's a Neanderthal sport, even if you would call it a sport. There's an amazing group called Hunt Saboteurs Ireland. They help rescue and save foxes and badgers, says Sue. In response to the point you made about asking the foxes how they feel about it, I'm sure that 13,500 unborn children 
aborted over the past two years wouldn't be too pleased if you were asking them their opinion, say, for instance, on abortion. The people that voted to repeal the right to life of the unborn <coughs> seem to care more about foxes than they do about unborn innocent babies. So that's a selection of uh, many, many texts to 0868 104 106. So I'll come back to those as well. But you know, we talk about people who are opening the post. Now, I don't know where it's happening. I really and truly don't know. I've seen a few of these issues come before the courts where people would send cars cards with cash in them, particularly at Christmas time, or they might send cash or they might send scratch cards and stuff like that. And they're taken out and then the card is posted open or damaged with the money or the scratch cards or the gifts taken out of it. I think it's an awful thing to do and it's very, very sad if it's happening within the postal network itself. Now, we don't know whether it's happening overseas or whether it's happening here. But I'm just warning you with the run up to Christmas, be very careful with cash because they literally, these days, people will steal absolutely anything. The eye out of their head if they could get it out. Um, and I say that actually because um, just quickly, you know those massive gold posts that you can have, the big plastic ones with the big tubular plastic and they have the entire netting. They're the size of regular golds, to be quite honest. Even they're being stolen these days. How you'd get away with them unseen is just beyond me. But can I just pop up to Ballyvalan? Lindsay, good morning. Morning. Um, and in your case, they're enormous, the golds. I mean, it's the, it's, it, the photograph I have, they're full-size goals, right? Yeah, 10 by 6. Two in, of them. In your garden? No. Just the green outside your garden wall? Yeah. 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 Two of them were stolen last night. And do all of the kids use them? Oh, the whole estate use them all day, every day. They play out there just playing games of soccer and matches throughout the evening and daytime. And um, I suppose they woke up this morning and they were gone. Both of them? Yeah, both of them. They were there last night, gone this morning? Yeah, gone this morning. Now, I suppose I didn't even tell my own son yet because I didn't want him upset going to school. But um, he will be devastated because they just use them every day. So, somebody came in the middle of the night and... Well, it wasn't. It was 8.30. They They were gone at 8.30 last evening? Yeah. I mean, you'd think they'd be spotted at that time. They'd have to take them apart, wouldn't they? Yeah, I yeah, like there's been kind of sightings of them walking down the road with them and stuff. But I suppose, look, I'm just going to leave that now and then the guards hands. Uh, yeah, well, then there's a very good chance they they did it for some kind of a stupid prank. Some weeks ago, somebody did that with um, with uh, a big garden swing belonged to a family down Mahanway. They just lifted it up, walked off with it from the outside the front door of the house, and they dumped it down the line. There's a chance they've dumped those goalposts somewhere. Yeah, I don't know about that now, but um, I suppose I'm just really go mad over the children, you know. You don't know? You think there's someone playing soccer with them somewhere? Mm, you wouldn't know. I don't know, really, I suppose. But um, I'd say they were taking with a purpose, like, you know. To be sold or to be used? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, really. But um, I, don't, I don't think it was a prank. You okay, know? yeah, yeah. But somebody did see them, you're saying? Supposedly, there were spotted, but I don't know the background to that either, you know, there's kind of I suppose I just don't want to be kind of getting into that side of it, you know but I just... And, fun, and funnily not, enough now I'm getting a kind of an, an instinctive feeling as to why you don't want to get into it and, uh, you know, where you live and stuff like that so is that what you're implying? Will we leave it at that? 
No, I just, it's not my profession. Like, I suppose I just leave that to the guards. I'm just, it's more really the children that I go mad because they play there every day. And now that they're gone, they only got both of the boys got them in the summer for their birthdays. They're your, did you pay for them, yeah? Oh, I did. I bought it for my own son and the, uh, my neighbour bought it for her son. So they put the two goals in oh, together. Oh, for God's sake. So two different neighbours bought the goals. You bought a set between you. Yeah, they were like, they were like, they were, it's a 10 by 6 Forza goal with a very distinct, and my own son has um, a Cork flag on top of his, like, so it's very, I suppose, it's distinctive to the eye, like. Are so they expensive? They're 130 euro each. And that's hard-earned money, not to have it robbed. I know, I know, I know. And, like, they will be very disappointed because they use it every day, you know. Ah, that's tragic, isn't it? Aren't people just awfully mean? And all the kids were... You might have paid for it and your neighbour paid for it, but all of the kids then had some great soccer matches on that green. Oh, they would. They'd play there every day, and that's even the birthday parties that we had for both of them in the summer were soccer parties. So every child in the estate would have been playing at them, you know? I know. Kinbara Drive in Ballyvalan, and somebody, you know, I know you don't know much about it, but if somebody said they were seen, um, were they dragging the goalposts, or had they taken them, you don't know, taken apart or anything? No, they were fully together at that time. And they were seen, yeah. Okay. So maybe this conversation yeah. might prompt a bit of information for the public as to they might have spotted them somewhere, do you think? Hopefully, because, um, like, I suppose, like, we just want them back, really, for the kids, because, you know, they just love their playing with them so much, you yeah. know. Well, hopefully you'll get them back. If not, you never know. Maybe somebody listening might wish to replace them, because it's great to hear of kids playing soccer on the green. More of that, please. I think it's fantastic. I know, I know, and both boys really love, like I suppose, all sports, so they'd be out there every day, you know. Well, you're going to have to tell him when he comes home from school, aren't you? I know, I know, I know. know. All right, let's see if we can get any information as to what happened or where they are, you know. Thanks, Lindsay, stay in touch, or if you hear anything. Thank you. It's unreal, the times that we live in now, and you hear stories like that, it really is heartbreaking for kids. If it's not a slide, it's uh, it's gold, hard-earned cash, put in the green for everybody to use. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show, on Twitter, at Neil Red FM. And on hunting, hunting the scent of the fox is so cruel, that means the fox is running for hours to get away from the dogs. That man on air from yesterday cannot purport to be intelligent and pursue that barbaric act and call it sport. Uh, The gangs going out at night are digging out badgers to sell for badger fighting and they're netting hares at night for cash. It's tax-free money. Many are earning a fortune. Hares are going for anything between 100 and 150 per animal to be used in unmuzzled coursing. Badgers go for up to 130 euro. This underground sport is happening right across the country. You can see the men with laser pens going through the woods near me in search for badgers and hares. In recent time, they've started using thermal imaging in the hunt to find them. Tax-free money. These groups are very dangerous. I had a run-in with one such group that has led me to sleep with a shotgun under my bed. I even got followed home one night by a few vehicles that had their lights off all the way. That's scary stuff. Now, that's got nothing to do with uh, with uh, hunting clubs or harrier clubs. This is other characters out at night netting hares and badgers for cash. My daughter was out walking her dog three years ago in Ballymacada. A pack of hounds chased her over a ditch, nipped her leg, put a hole in her leggings. They chased my daughter all the way to the patio door. She was terrified and now gets anxious every time, every year at this time of the year. Morning, I live with my family in the Blarney area. The fields are ruined every weekend. They're hunting gangs now. 
where they compete to see who catches the most foxes in a day's hunt. It's a disgrace. 50 dogs digging into defenseless animals' homes and all these fellas don't work. They just live to hunt and act the maggot. Ban it all. Now, on the hunting subject, just because someone doesn't agree with hunting, it doesn't mean they should have the power to have it stopped. It's our culture. It has been destroyed by the snowflake generation. It's time for this to stop. Everyone to their own, please. Hunting with harriers is natural selection. Snares and poisoning are far more horrendous. Harriers are not bloodthirsty beasts. They hunt for scent. Uh, they hunt a scent. And I can assure you, the only foxes ever hunted down and killed are the ones that are sick or, sick or injured. I've seen many covered in mange and spreading mange to domestic dogs. Sick, manged, injured foxes. So, Neil, can, can I and eight of my buddies run around that hunting man's front garden on a Sunday morning when we're trying to have a lie-in and tell him we're chasing vermin, blowing a bugle and leaving a big hole in his hedge. I'm an ex-hunter and I now regret it now that I'm older. Um, the man talking nonsense tells stories from back in the 1970s. It's a different breed of hunters now. When I was young, my uncle used to take me out every Sunday. He was a harrier. Uh, hours before some of the hunters would go out with meat on a string and walk the dogs and the dogs would get the scent of the meat. And just one final one. I'm a sheep farmer in West Cork and I would be in favour of fox hunting if your man would chase the fox himself rather than sending his dogs out. That I would watch for sport. Otherwise, even as a sheep farmer, as I am, it's just cruelty and I would send them off my land. Talking about sheep, incidentally, let me get to the phones here. Jim, good morning. Hello, New Year. Do you farm sheep? I do, I'm not a farmer, but I rent a bit of land and everything like Well, fair play to you, rare sheep but, uh, then. Yeah. You see, two years ago, till the, two years, till the, not last, you know, the year before, two years in a row, we lost 15 sheep, two eagles. Eagles? We killed eagles, better, better known as sea eagles. Lambs or sheep, which? Sheep and lambs. Well, lambs, six months old, like. What, what do they do? They come down with their talons and just lift them into. Grab them and try to lift them and uh, wouldn't. Um, could, when they couldn't lift them, then they'd keep doing it the whole time, you see. They wouldn't be dead, you see, when you'd find them, but they'd, they'd have all this, you know, cutting their leg in their neck to hoist the cruelty. Because I was reading an article by, um, I think it was a Valerie O'Sullivan article, it might have been in the Irish Farmers Journal. They were saying that they put their talons or their claws into the sheep's neck and they yeah, pull and, and they so rip off. And what happens then? It's like a razor blade, a tenon is so strong that will just cut the neck like a razor blade. And the sheep bleed to death? No, they, t- they wouldn't bleed to death. I don't, no, I don't even want sheep that ever lived after, but she couldn't twist up in the neck. No, they, they cut the sinners, you see, and the neck get poisoned in. But they, they, do they, they, they clearly die, you say, you've had oh, all do, yeah. 15. They wouldn't live, they like she died last year after two years, but... Um, you see, and then when we got on to the, to the wildlife crowd, yeah. they came along and sent, we sent on Portagast them and uh, they, they sent them all to Holland and they wrote back then and said that was a mistake and I didn't see it, dogs killed them. Like, dogs? Then, so there was no dogs there, but then there were already began. It might have been dogs, though, if you didn't see it with your own eye. Did you ever see the eagles do it? Oh, it was t- t- two feet away from them. And he opened the sheep's back, and I see me eating, and a dead sheep under. 
Are they big? The white-tailed oh, seagulls? Oh, massive. There was a 12-foot gate there and only... The eagle got a bigger fright than me when I came in around the corner. He wasn't trying to kind of a pin. He was eating the thing. And he 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 he, he, he lifted up their 12, they have a 12 foot wingspan. Savage animals. Massive. Yeah. And did. So with the sheep, they can't lift them. But would they manage to lift uh, a lamb? Oh, they would. But we never had them in the lambing season. When we live out the lambs down in April, we never had them. To the harvest. October or November, they came. For the two years they came. Did it, did a lamb ever just disappear off the land? No, because they couldn't lift him. They'd be too big, you see. Even the lamb would be too big? Oh, he would, yeah. He'd be six months old. Like, he'd be half, three quarters grown, didn't they? Yeah, and are there more eagles? They were reintroduced over the last number of years, weren't they? They were, yeah, you see. But, you see, when we got... We went down the... I went down the right road. We got out to the Wildlife Trust and sent down the photographs them and all. And they came along then and wrote a big article on a farmer's paper mistaken identity and must just say I was a lawyer that I no But you saw them with your own eyes though actually I saw me I didn't die for one morning I went back there was a I see fresh blood and and wool in the ground and I went back again a couple of hours after and the eagle was I had a sheep out in the passage and he turned to kill him and he up on top of his back So you saw that that's not mistaken identity Jim you saw No I know but that's like that's that's what that that's my problem. Like I can't understand the family paper. They took the, the the wildlife trust crowd side. Like they never came. In. Why didn't the wildlife crowd come back to me and say, "Look, we'll try to sort it out." And do you, but uh, there are state bodies. You know it, no, you know it. They're answerable to no one. So what do you do to counteract the sea eagles? He just went away again. Like he just just stayed for a couple of months and went away again. And do you have any problem with foxes and the and the sheep and the lambs? Well, the fox was taking that lamb, but we wouldn't live out the lamb, so they'd be in one door, eh? And do you see foxes around? Oh, there's plenty of foxes around. But another thing, you know, see, if we introduce a species into the country that wasn't there before, you have buzzards out my, buzzards out my way, no, buzzards, no, you know what a buzzard is. Well, he's it's kind of a bit like a vulture, is it? Huh? A bit like a vulture, is it? No, he's a lot smaller than an eagle. But... There was a game reserve back the road here for me and there was thousands of pheasants on it and there's no pheasants there now because the birds are small killed and they're killing young hares and they're killing all the small birds. But is anything to do with, you know, natural selection, you know, the power of different species over, that they have to feed and it's natural for them to do that, it's instinctive. Uh, yeah, but you don't introduce a species to do away with a beautiful bird like the pheasant. Yeah, I know what you mean. They were introduced into the area. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but um, they shouldn't be allowed to go away like that. And, and all the small birds and all that kill you, and they're killing all the young hares. So do you have any... Hares, do you have young hares are always out in the middle of a field, which are a month or six weeks old, and they're killing everyone in the springtime. Buzzards and crows and stuff? No, not crows, buzzards. And do you have any opinion then on people who hunt foxes and... Uh, well, maybe I hunt get them all my life, but I don't hunt them no more. Why is that? I've got old, I've got more sense. And the sense, do you think it's cruel now or what? Oh, it'll be very cruel. Did you have guns? No guns, and we used to be out to a terrier sometimes. But uh, when I was 16 years old, uh, Neil, I got um, I caught this fox one day about three, three weeks old, and brought him home and I reared him. <laughs> and I had him for months, and he used to be around with the dogs and everything. But <laughs> then she disappeared one time for about a month. And next day I went into the box where she was, and she had two baby cubs inside the box. <laughs> At home, was it? Yeah. 
And then, like, nature of the fright, when I, when I caught the cubs, she took away the cubs for three weeks, and then she said to herself, I'm not going to feed them now, she brought them back into the box again. <laughs> <laughs> so then you would feed them? Because she nature of the fright. <laughs> and did the, did the fox, did the cubs grow up with you? Yeah, they did. When I was only 16 or 17 years old, and I wouldn't mind in a crowd in Dublin, send me down a Guinness... But they're going to for him to fill out to get it going to the Guinness Book of Records <laughs> because she was the only fox ever recorded in the world that bred where she was reared without being captivity. When you're being real, you wouldn't give a hoot. I didn't do that. <laughs> no, she was comfortable living with you. You see, and she knew a good thing when she saw it. Oh, she did, of course. And what happened in the end, then, with the Mammy Fox? She got killed it? in the road with a cat, and so I, I didn't bother trying to tame the cubs they went away with. Did they? Oh, what a lovely story from your youth. You remember that fondly. Sad end for the poor old Mother Fox, though. But uh, I don't know what to say about, about the, all these buzzards and killing all the lovely pheasants and everything, but that's just happening. You see, but you can't tell a stimmy state body what you do, but it was very bad over that trust they couldn't contact us after I know then I know big page of and, uh, well you say and you say what you saw and they said it was what what did they say it was dogs dogs yeah, yeah. there was yeah. no dogs like, like when I saw the eagle doing it several times sir, what was the point in telling you are they dangerous to humans eagles or would they stay away from us oh they wouldn't go near you no no they'd mm. just take off and they'd see you <laughs> They wouldn't rob your chips like or anything like that, like the feckin' seagulls do. You can't trust them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chip, mind yourself. In about 10 years' time or 20 years' time, there'll be no films in the country. All right, well, that'll be sad. And they're going to trouble or no crowding, they're saying you'll see about it, like. I'll let you get back. Is this lambing season? Forgive my ignorance. Oh, the first of January, no. You're up all night in lambing in January and February. And then, then go out in September and see sheep tar all over the place. I like, know, right. I know, I know, I know. Lovely chatting with you in spite of all of that. No, Thanks, no, Jim. Thanks Take care, my man. Hello. God bless. Take care. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. I talked to Jamie in a few minutes' time, if you don't mind, but I did some work yesterday because we've been dealing with issues on the air over the past couple of days with regards to jabs and booster jabs and COVID numbers and PCR tests and the amount of people in hospitals and I said just just for myself I wanted to get a better picture as to where we've been since March 2020 so it, you have to do an awful lot of digging online to find information but eventually I managed to cobble a lot of stuff together by looking at the HSC websites and drilling in and checking and going back and forth but anyway I just thought you might be interested in it because it, it, it maybe it might give you a snapshot as to what we've been through numbers wise since March of, of, of 2020 now I acknowledge that some people in fact, even myself, I don't know, I got really sick over Christmas and very early in the new year. Who knows whether that was COVID or not? I have no idea. Um, but I was just looking at the stats. And if I could just start with regards to the last statistical week that I could get my hands on, it was the week of the 10th of November to the 16th of November. It's only take a couple of minutes, but I hope you find it interesting and informative. But for that week alone, there were 22 COVID-related deaths notified in this country, 22 and they looked at the age, the mean age, when you add up all of the numbers and work out what is the average age. Now, I know people disagree about what the term mean, M-E-A-N-E, means. But if you just bear in mind this and just take my own interpretation of it, the age was 75 years of age. So it's still obviously very clear that those that are dying are elderly. Um, I'm not saying anything about that. I think everybody deserves as long an innings as they can get. But in the week gone by up to the 16th, 22 deaths 
averaging mean age of, of 75. But if you look at the different stats then, and if you go back to the first day of March of 2020, right up until the 16th of November, and you look at the age of, of deaths for that period of time, from the 1st of March to the 16th of November, the median age, the mean age, when you look at all of the age ranges, um, you know, from 14 years of age, the youngest, to 105 years of age, the oldest, um, of, of all of the, the COVID deaths, 82 years of age was the median age. And I looked at the figure in closer detail then, bringing it, breaking it down by age groups. And you really have to get to 65 and 75-year-olds and older to see the substantial deaths, you know, the, up to the 74-year-olds, 909 since March of last year, then higher for the 75-pluses to nearly 1,900. And then the biggest number of deaths, 85-pluses at 2,300. So it really does kick in deaths. And I don't mean to sound cold about it, but it really does kick in from the age of, you know, 65 to 70 and, and 75 years on. And that there the statistics go back to March of, of last year. Um, and then if you, look, if you look further then, if you want to drill into county numbers of deaths, and I don't know how this would compare with, you know, other counties and what people die of, you know, whether it's cancer related or accidents or, you know, underlying health conditions. But the amount of deaths reported, say, in the county of Cork, which is quite a big county, from the very start up until the 16th of November, the number of people who died is 488. Now, when you look at Dublin, it's nearly 2,000. But after the Dublin figure, clearly we're next as the second city. But the total number of deaths up to the 16th of July, 488. So I found all of this very interesting. And then I was thinking, well, where, were, where did people die? Where did they actually die of all those that did die over 5,000 um, and nearly the, the, the biggest percentage died in hospital. So we would expect that. 2,859 people who contracted COVID. And remember, uh, again, a lot of them were elderly, um, vast majority, uh, died in hospital. But the figure for residential institutions and hospice um, is staggering. It's uh, over 2,060. And then there were small numbers of people who died at home, and they have a category here called unknown, as in they don't know where they died. So it could have been a hospital or it could have been in a care home. Uh, and that's 371. But hospitals nearly 2,900 and over 2,000. And you can, you can see that as being an outbreak then within a residential institution. Because of all of the deaths linked to COVID, 3,500 of them were because of outbreaks in particular settings. And the biggest one, of course, was nursing homes, 2,200 followed by outbreaks that got, you know, where, where COVID got into a hospital and there was a, a, a outbreaks that led to deaths. And in hospital, that was about 840, 842. But again, we're back to the figures based on, on nursing homes. And one or two other little interesting statistics. Now, you might find them interesting. You might find the numbers low in, 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 you know, in terms of what we were told to expect or what we went through over the past uh, 20, 21 months. But then they looked at, um, you know, when when were when were people dying? When were the what were the months really that where we were really in crisis? So when COVID came along in March, clearly we didn't see many deaths in the months of March, but we did see it in April, um, eleven hundred and sixty one. So that was at the very beginning when everybody's really worried and panicked, and we saw deaths in that month alone of eleven hundred and sixty one. But of course, by the time we got into the summer, say July and August of last year, certainly August, COVID was 
gone, pretty much on its last legs, or gone to sleep for that period of time. Um, you're looking at seven deaths in August. But then, of course, we all know of uh, relaxing you know, restrictions and coming out of different forms of lockdown in Christmas of last year. And that might be significant with how people behave with the run into this Christmas, because January gone after Christmas had the highest outbreak, the highest number of deaths throughout the whole period of COVID was January of 2021, 1,421. But again, you look at, you know, and, and, and then the seasonality of it through February, there were nearly 900 deaths. And then it falls rapidly across March and April until you get to May, June and July, and you have deaths of 18, 18 in June and 20 in July. Um, and then we are where we're at now as we came out of the summer and back into the winter. But if you're looking at deaths even recently, for September was 173, October 197, and November's unfinished, so it's hard to call November yet, but I don't think we're going to get those number of deaths in November that we did, say, for instance, in October or September. But again, the number of deaths for November 2021 is incomplete. So that's as much as the statistics that I could come up with over the past uh, 20, 21 months. It might put things in perspective for you. If it doesn't, at least it's, it's a job that I thought would, would help in some shape or form. And then, of course, you had the front of the mail yesterday, which got a lot of people angered this morning, where they say, and I don't, I don't know where they come up with these, because I don't think, I don't know, I don't know anybody who has ever said to me, oh my God, we need to go into lockdown. They say over half the country's population want tougher restrictions. I mean, who are the people that are saying this? Are, are you listening to me? Do you want them? I mean, are you, again, I mean, are you working? You're running a business? Are you self-employed? Or are you just in fear of it that you would want a lockdown? Text on that, text 0868 uh, And I'll attempt to come back to it, if not this morning, certainly tomorrow. But I want to go back to phone lines because that's what we're all about, phones and texts and emails. Jamie. Hi. This problem has not gone away. You're not on a speakerphone, are you? Uh, I'm not. I'm on headphones, but I, I can switch it all if you want. Yeah, would you mind now. just um, talk to me in the old-fashioned way, just with the regular phone? And no while, you're, while you're doing that, your partner's dad died in in Mauritius. Is it? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And has she has she gone back? Yeah. So so, so ba- basically, he had a stroke um, just under two weeks ago. Um, he was in the, he was on life support in a coma. They were hoping that they could maybe do a bit of surgery on him. Um, he passed away on Sunday, unfortunately. And um, your partner's from Mauritius, so she did she get there on time? No, she didn't. Um, I, I suppose to give it a bit of context. So she 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 hadn't been home in, in three and a half four years. Oh, no. There was visa issues due to COVID. When they were delaying their visas, but basically she she couldn't get home. Um, Isn't that absolutely tragic? Yeah, it's um, it's, it's not pleasant. We, uh, no, I'm, I, unfortunately not, Jamie. I'm losing the phone line, which is I'm very interested in what you have to say because it is an example to people how tough it's been on others. You know, really losing her dad, not having seen him in four years, rushing back to Mauritius, but he's passed away. Is the line any better now? Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, it's somewhat better. Go ahead. All right. Um, so I suppose I started off with a little bit of, little bit of optimism Friday evening. Um, I reached out to the passport office. But why, why are you doing that? She got there. Is it the passport isn't she, for her? It's for your baby, is it? 
it's, it's for my, my little baby, yeah. Uh, I was hoping we could get him over to see to see his granddad maybe before he passed away as such. Um because he 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 was mad to see him. He 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 was he was desperate to, to see him basically. Um, so I got onto the passport office on the Friday evening, reached out to an emergency email address. They responded quite quickly, and I thought, okay, maybe we we'll, we we might get somewhere here. Um, I applied online then over the weekend for a passport for my son. Uh, went into the guards as witnesses. I got everything signed by by mum and myself. Actually, that we got the news on Sunday that he passed away, so things kind of changed. Um, it made it made it it made it um, uh, more important to get it faster now because he has passed yes. away. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I, I suppose like just as well, she found out on Facebook that he had died because he was he was actually he was playing football. He was capped made over twenty times from Mauritius, um, so he was kind of well known over there um, in, in the small little country. So that changed the perspective completely. Uh, a Facebook post she found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She must have been so upset. Yeah, it's just, I suppose you have the, 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 I suppose anyone that's had someone passed away, you know the initial reaction or what happens. I know, but a Facebook uh, post, I mean, it's sad. It's, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't ideal. Um, so she had, she, had, she had book flights for the Monday, um, she was flying out on the Monday. She was hoping to, to maybe see him before he passed her if he got better or whatever, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. Um, so Monday I drove up, I dropped off to the airport in Dublin with my other son. He's four. She flew out. Um, I started on that Monday morning contacting the passport office. Um, there was a sort of email address for emergencies. Very, very No, I'm losing you again, pal. We did contact the passport press office on your behalf, and while they said they couldn't comment on individual cases, they said that you need to provide particular paperwork as requested. Did you do all of that? Yeah, so I provided an official death certificate. I provided an official letter from the hospital confirming his date, time, and cause of death. Is that what they were looking uh, for? Yeah, they they keep coming. So when I say unresponsive, I might. I might get an email back at 12 o'clock in the day and then just before they close at quarter past four they send me another email um, I've given them all they've requested they said it's not good enough it's like I have the official What else do they need besides the documents of death? They, what they've said to me is they need a letter from the hospital confirming the death which I have provided Okay, um, anything else besides that? No, that's okay. what that's what they, they, they Okay, said. well we're in a much better place now because they have told us that once they have everything they need, they have told us they will work on your case. They say that they are available to you to contact them in relation to the application. But if you have provided them with all of the documentation they required, they have told us and assured us that they will then work on your case. That sounds quite optimistic to me. Yes, that, that that sounds quite good. I, I think, well, look, I suppose you come to the point where I've been mad for two days, you know, and I know. now I'm only getting somewhere here after reaching out to Donegal Leary. It's very, very helpful yesterday. Uh, we're reaching out to yourselves. It, it's it's quite quite sad. You have to I know, but point, listen, I know, so. but unfortunately, sometimes that's the world that we live in. And, um, you yeah. know, hopefully between ourselves and Donegal Leary, we, we can make the difference. If they have the paperwork, they've assured us that they will work on on your case. And they are very much aware of your case and our interest in your case. So hopefully we can make that happen in the next day or two. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Okay, but do come back to me and let me know if things are are, are stalling again, will you? Yes, of course, of course. I, right. I suppose 
what, what I'm looking for now is maybe for some one of them to reach out to me. Maybe a phone call wouldn't go amiss. Um, we can we can try that so when we get off the air and ask to see if they will give you a fast call. Notwithstanding, they're actually bringing on new staff because they are completely swamped. They're hiring a hundred extra people to deal with the backlog. But they're aware of your case and we'll drive it on as best we can, all right? Not at all. Listen, I wish I had more time, but I need to keep moving. We'll come back to that and see if we can get an update on it and make it happen for you uh, and your wife. Um, and good luck with that, or your partner, I should say. Meanwhile, here's the shopping list for the last time. It's worth €250. Euro. Rose, uh, let me give it to you. You need to read it back to me. Phone lines will open. Uh, rosy tinted lip balm. Butter-flavoured microwavable popcorn. Four breaded cod fillets. Tesco lightly salted tortilla chips. A box of 12 OXO beef stock cubes. Hellman's vegan garlic mayonnaise. Copy of the Echo. Tesco sensitive anti-dandruff shampoo. That's your list. All two, four, six, eight of them. Get dialing now. Repeat them back in that order, ideally. 250 euro Tesco gift card for you. Uh, 1850-104-106. We'll start with caller 10. And I promise you from tomorrow, for tomorrow and Friday, I'll make the shopping items shorter. Because I accept there's a lot of words involved in these. Hard to write them all down. So we'll give you shorter items on the shopping list tomorrow. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. All right, let's see what Caller 10 can do for me. Brian Barry is on Connolly Road. Morning. Morning, Neil. Is that north side Connolly Road or south side? South side. Uh, I thought that because it says Ballyvalan here. And last time I checked Connolly Road, it was out the Hanway, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Let's see how we can do this. Now, i got the entire list here. It's a €250 Euro Tesco gift card, and it's all yours. So I have a shopping list that I would like you now to relate to me. So off you go. Rosy tinted lip balm. Butter-flavoured microwave popcorn. Four-bladed cod fillets. Tesco lightly salted tortilla chips. A box of 12 Oxo beef stock cubes. Hellman's vegan garlic mayonnaise. Copy of the Echo. Tesco sensitive Andy Dandruff shampoo. Please take your change. Notes are dispensed below the scanner. 250 euro Tesco gift card for you. You got help, did you? Uh, I'd say you had a group of guys writing down amongst you at work or something, did you? No, no, I hadn't, my son. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Fair play to him. Well, you're going to have to split it with him, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, about that. What's your, what's your son's name? Graham. Graham! Graham, he said, I'm doing Tim. Yeah, put him on to me then. <laughs> Hello, Neil. Oh, Graham, listen, make sure he gives you 125 euro. Do you hear me? Oh, at least. Fair is fair. Like, I'd say you did most of the hard work. <laughs> I'm walking walk from home, I don't know, Neil, so I don't know how to walk. All right, my man. Well, it's paid off. Well done. Enjoy spending it at Tesco. All right, Graham? Yeah, thanks, Neil. Take care. Take care. Graham and indeed his dad, Brian, out in Connolly Road in Bellafian. They haven't far to travel. Down to Douglas and spend it, lads. Spend it. Last bit of business. A 200 euro wad of cash for you. Courtesy of ourselves and Groner Braugher Credit Union. Do you know your north side? For if you do, I think this is deadly hard. Like, what's the response like so far to this? I think... Deadly hard. Know your north side? Do you know who that person is? That mystery voice? I think. Very difficult. I don't know. Last bit of business, because I may well come back to this tomorrow. Please don't give up my details. Since this COVID restrictions have lifted, <laughs> I find it disheartening that through COVID, it was all about panic buying, websites cutting out countries, etc., with bringing things to Ireland, all sorts of problems shopping online. Now it looks like booking things like Santa 
or Sante, whatever side of the Lee you're from, is going to be another problem. Santa is supposed to be special for kids and it's not about anyone else but the kids. But I haven't been able to book anywhere for my child. She's 11 with certain disabilities and with limited time to see her due to other circumstances that I can't give out. That Santa experience, they're all booked out. Has anyone had this problem? Any advice on what to do now? Here is a list that is booked out for you, Neil. Model Railway Village. These are, the, these are Santa at these uh, locations. Model Railway Village, booked out. Photo House and Gardens, not doing it this year. Winter Wonderland, booked out. Rumley's and Leahy's Farm, availability, not the ones I needed though. Sent at the Mills and Balavorny, booked out. North Pole Outpost, booked out. Cuskinny, booked out. Magical Blarney, booked out. Alpine Skate and Trail, uh, is available, but my child doesn't know how to skate. Uh, I can't teach you because I don't have skates. West Cork Secret booked out. Ardmore Open Farm and Mini Zoo available. Uh, too far away though. Patrick Street Santa Experience. Some are not great for her age group, she says. So that's quite a lengthy email, but many of them booked out, one or two not, and uh, doesn't suit her dates. Where's open? Um, I'd love to drill into this tomorrow for the Santa Experience. Now I know Santa's working away at the North Pole, but when you want to go and see one of Santi's helpers or what have you. Where can you go these days? What's available? Uh, do you need COVID certs? Does the child need one? Parent probably does. Lads, can you get in touch with me on that one? We'll pick it up in the morning. Text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. Lines will stay open, lads. Uh, get involved and I'll pick it up with you in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.